Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. Welcome everybody to another episode of Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatul arminu wa barakatuhu. This is peace and blessings of Armin be upon you, everybody. <laughs> this is, uh, my name is Ali Rizvi. I have a sore throat. I just came off like a really, really bad cold. Um, so excuse me. I, I, I might sound sexier. I don't know, but I definitely don't look it. Um, and with me is Armin Navabi, as always. Hi, Wonderful guys. Armin Navabi. Hi. How Hello. are you? Ali, move a and little bit to your left. Like to my left? That's like good. That? Yeah, stay there. Right there. Okay, good. Stay right there? Yeah. Okay, great. This is for the... So So what Armin's telling me to do, he's telling me to move a little bit to the left so I show up on the video properly. Right. And for those of you who are listening to this on your podcast app, you're probably thinking, video? What video? Well, what happens is if you become a patron of this podcast, you actually have access to all the videos. So we just... Um, you know, one thing you can do is you can go to patreon.com slash sjme. And uh, that's where all our patrons can watch all the videos and they can get access to all this other sort of premium content. Except except um, the ones that is just you and me. Those are public for everyone. The ones those with, are public. Like Yeah, the ones that are with our guests, uh, the videos for that is, pub, is, is only available to our patrons and also to our PayPal and subscribe staffs, followers, supporters. Mm. Uh, but yeah, but the ones that is just you and me is always public to everyone. Go ahead. That's right. So, um, so that's one thing. So remember, if you want to go, if you, for those of you who've heard this podcast before, and you like what you hear, you can go to Patreon. You can you can actually do your settings so you it could you could subscribe for as little as a dollar a month, um, and you can be part of it. We do have uh, someone in the live chat, Moose Gal, is saying that uh, she has lost her Patreon uh, status. So uh, for those who don't have that, you can also go to PayPal and yeah, go to secularjudice.com. Uh, join from there and then message us. Yeah, secularjudice.com. And you have all of the options there. Yeah. And, and also, then once you get in, yeah, you on. can go to our Facebook group. We have a special group for patrons on uh, Facebook. So it's called Secular Jihadist Patrons. Just join uh, if you're a contributor and then uh, you get access to all the content over there. So right, right. either way, you can all do it. Just wanted to get that out of the way or ahead of time. Yeah, Muska, go to secularjudice.com. There's other ways other than Patreon. But thank you for your support so far, anyways. Okay, so today what we're doing is uh, the second part of uh, a conversation that I know know Armin and I enjoyed a lot, the the first. So this is part of a three-part series. Uh, and this is about Sunni versus Shia. What's but the you don't, between- But you don't need to see the previous part to get this one because they're different. They're different aspects of the. You know, the first one was the story, the difference in the stories. This one uh-huh. is the difference in theology and belief, and then the third one is going to be the difference in modern politics and stuff like that. And how that's going, the differences between Sunnis and Shias. So even though you don't necessarily have to see the first part. 
um, to to go with this. I mean, this is totally standalone. Mm-hmm. I think you'll enjoy this also if you go, if you go and you check out the first part before and just really learn about that. We talked about the history of how um, the Shia and the Sunni sects developed. Um, during the lifetime of Muhammad, actually, and even afterwards, and I'll leave that as a teaser, and you can go and you can find out about it by listening to part one. But again, I'm talking about you know what did the terms mean? How did these sects arise? What are their differences? And why have they been at each other's throats for 13 centuries? Yeah. And you know what what exactly is going on? So today, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on um, the differences in belief and the, the theological differences between the two sects. Um, By the way, can I give I, you a, a, a small, uh, small recap on how the, I already mentioned this before. So the way I look at it, and I think Ali agrees with this, is mm-hmm. that the the, C, the Shia and Sunni divide started off as a family drama, then in, evolved into differences in politics. The family drama turned into differences in politics. Then it went the differences in politics, then evolved into theological differences. And then the theological differences turned into different identity, right? So identity with regards to how Shias and Sunni see uh, see themselves and each other. But go on. And each other, yeah. yeah. And uh, what you know, one important thing at the center of these uh, some of these political differences is is there's a big difference in successorship. So we'll start with that in terms of beliefs because that crosses over. That's part of the history, and it also crosses over into the theological beliefs. Uh, so the main a theological difference in terms of, of both Shia and Sunni is the sources of the Hadith. So we know that the Quran is the same for both of them. Muhammad is the last prophet uh, that sends down the word of God, which is the Quran. Mm. Uh, but then after that, right, after uh, the uh, God, the Quran, and Muhammad, what happens afterwards? Afterwards, you have something called the Sunnah. So in addition to the Quran, um, you need these things called the Hadith, which is you know the the behavior of the prophet of Muhammad, and uh, the, what is to be emulated. And, and the reason this is important for for all Muslims, Shia and Sunni alike, is because the Quran is very vague on certain things. Like the Quran will tell you to pray, but it doesn't specify exactly how many times a day you should pray. It doesn't tell you how you should pray. It tells you to fast, but it doesn't tell you exactly how to do it. So for those things and a whole bunch of other things, you need a separate body of literature. Right, of uh, a form of scripture, um, and that is called the Hadith or the Sunnah. And the the main theological difference between Shia and Sunni is the source of the Hadith and Sunnah. So, so right? actually, actually, Ali, the way you're saying it, it, like, tell me if you disagree with this or this or not, because the what I with my experience is that it seems like it's mostly Sunnis that say the Quran and Sunnah. The one Quran, Sunnah second. M- most Shias don't say that. I mean, in my experience, they don't use the, the word Sunnah. Yeah, let me let yeah. me let me make the point. They say the Quran and Ahlul Bayt, the Quran right. and Ahlul Bayt. So they say Muhammad. So the uh, the the Sunnis say the uh, Muhammad brought two things for us. They, he brought the Quran, and he the Sunnah as a way to inter- to figure out how to interpret the Quran. But Shias, they say no. They say he, Muhammad brought the Quran and he brought Ahlul Bayt, the people of the house. Of the house. house. And so what does Ahlul Bayt mean? So, uh, why do why do Shias uh, refer to Ahlul Bayt and Sunnis don't? 
Okay, so that's a good point of clarification, mm-hmm. but but it also comes down to the same thing that the Ahlul Bayt is where Shias get their. Uh, so let's avoid the terms Sunnah or even Hadith. Mm. Okay, let's look at. Okay, how do you the the things that are said to you in the Quran, the 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 elements of the belief, the tenets of the belief. How are you supposed to practice them? Mm. The instructions for that, right? The, for the for the Sunni, they come from. Uh, the the Sunnah and the Hadith; those are the the six major books: mm-hmm. Bukhari, Muslim, the collection of traditions of Muhammad, recorded by um, his companions, orally transmitted and then compiled by these uh, uh, people who had lived two centuries after him, right? In books like Sahih Muslim and Sahih Bukhari, mm-hmm. right? So that that is the source of uh, where they get their idea of Sunni, get their idea of how to practice uh, Islam. And for sunnah, Shia, what does sunnah right? mean? Sunnah means the way of the prop, the the saying, the way, of the, prophet. the way of the prophet, whether it's what he did or what he said, right? Right. But Shia, yeah. Okay, so what the Shia do is the Shia they get their source, they get their guidance on how to practice their religion, right? The equivalent of the sunnah or the hadith for them is the ahlul bayt. The ahlul bayt means people of the house, specifically the family members of Muhammad. The house is Muhammad's house, his family, mm. and they're the people of the house. People of the house includes, as we mentioned in our last episode, generally his biological descendants and relatives. So his daughter, his only, the only surviving daughter that he had um, who survived his death was, was Fatima. Um, her husband Ali, who also happened to be his cousin, and then their children, and their children, and their children, and they're down several generations. Right. So those are that, and whatever they said, however they interpreted the um, the uh, practices of Muhammad, right, is uh, is what the what the Shia follow. So the Shias now, why say, do they? So the Shias would say that the Sunnis are missing half of Islam. So the the Shias say the Sunnis accepted the Quran, which is half of Islam, but they missed out on the other half, which is Ahlul Bayt. They, f- they did not recognize Ali, Hus- Hassan, Hussein, Fatima, and all their uh, children after that, the 12 Imams. They didn't recognize them as uh, more than... For, for, so some Sunnis recognize some of these Imams as authority, but not divine authority, right? But she, as exactly. they say, they are divine authority, and by not recognizing them as divine authority, you're missing half of Islam. Right. Yeah, exactly. So now the question is, why do they go with the Ahlul Bayt? Uh, do they go with the family of Muhammad because they think that family members know you best, right? If I want to know about Armin Longa after he's died, I'm going to go and look at the writings of his brothers and sisters and his kids and everything as the way they remember him. I would, like, Shias believe that that is the most authentic way to understand um, the traditions of a person. Um so, so they have. This is their view. So they largely reject um, the Sunni sources of Hadith, even though there is a lot of crossover. Right. There's some. Right? Yeah. So there's some of the had. Okay. But but let's just mention the counterpoint Sunnis bring to that. Sunnis, Sunnis say that Muhammad came to redo the way that we do everything, including government and including, um, you know running a society and you know having a, a leader and then the ones that we follow after that leader to be 
by blood, like your children and then the children of your children, like the way the Shias do it, that's the way monarchs do it. That's not the way Islam should be doing it. Like there's no, they say that's the way the kings do it, right? Yeah, they're, they think it's like a dynasty. Yeah, right? they're like, this is not what, they to be. this is not what Muhammad, they say the Shias are acting like this is a dynasty. It's like what, why would you think that somebody that is, um, your uh, your son should be your leader like that's not that's not uh they sunnis think that they're more democratic nepotism yeah they think that yeah yeah so sunnis think like yeah sunnis think like abu Bakr when like when muhammad died like abu Bakr and omar they were selected by the community of muslims and muhammad said their the community will never make a mistake my community my ummah will never make a mistake and they suddenly point to that as a way to say well therefore abu Bakr, omar and osman were the rightly and then ali were the rightly right khalifas and they were not supposed to be by blood so the shias got it completely wrong but shias point well muhammad himself said that i give you the quran and ahlul bayt so no, you're wrong because that's what Muhammad said. I th do Sunnis think that when Muhammad said Ahlul Bayt, people of the house, maybe Muhammad wasn't referring to Ali to Ali Hassan Hussein. Maybe he was referring to his wives because the Shias um, the Shias hate Muhammad, many of, of Muhammad's wives, including Aisha. So Nibu. I'm going to say this hmm. as uh, someone who grew up Shia, hmm. the heavily but was heavily biased towards Shia. Um, I still think that the Shia have, are a lot clearer on some of their theology than, than Sunnis are in a lot of ways. Really? But I will say, yeah, but I will say that on this, the Shias are dead wrong and the Sunnis are completely right. The, <laughs> uh, the, 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 yeah, the verse in the Quran uh, where the Ahlul Bayt is mentioned, mm -hmm. right, is Surah 33, verse 33. Uh, this is called Ayat al-Tathir by a lot of Shias. And then this is how it reads. I've got it in front of me. It says, and abide in your houses and do not display yourselves as was the display of the former times of ignorance. Establish prayer and give zakah and obey Allah and his messenger. Allah only intend, Allah intends only to remove from you the impurity of sin, O Ahlul Bayt, to purify you with purification. So this idea that the impurity of sin does not exist in the Ahlul Bayt, right, that they're divine, this is the source that the Shia get it from. Unfortunately, if you look at this entire, the, the whole thing, Surah 33, this is all about the wives of the Prophet. All the verses before no this, way. all wives of the Prophet. Yep, uh, all of it. So, so uh, like, uh, you know, this is, you know, the thing about the jilbab and, you know, cover yourselves when you go out in public. This is part of that entire verse. Right. So, th this is actually specifically, and actually just for clarity, and I want to do this in case there are some... Uh, uh, sort of uh, Shias who are uh, listening to this, because this is actually really important. There's a fundamental uh, kind of thing, uh, difference between the two. So what I read to you right now was uh, 3333, okay? Right. Um, 3328, O Prophet, say to your wives, if you desire the worldly life, blah, blah, blah. 3329, but if you desire Allah and his messenger, okay, so again, 3330, O wives of the Prophet, whoever of you should commit a, an immorality, your punishment will be double fold. And whoever you obeys, their reward will be double fold. 3332, O wives of the Prophet, you're not like anyone among women. 3333, the one right. that we're talking about, and so, abide in your houses. So this is a huge disagreement. So what does Ahlul Bayt mean? Is different from Shia to Sunni. When, when, when the Quran says the people of the house, the Shias think that God meant 
Ali, uh, Fatima, Hassan, Hussein, and everybody that was born from these, uh, from the union of Ali and Fatima. But what, uh, so the daughter of Muhammad and his son-in-law, um, but what, what Sunnis think is that all the wives of the Muhammad, that's what uh, Quran means when it refers to Ahlul Bayt. Is that correct, Ali? Yes, that is correct. And and the verse in question, again, is the only place in the entire Quran that the term Ahlul Bayt is mentioned is Surah 33, verse 33. And that is a continuation of a whole bunch of verses that are directed to wives of the Prophet. So there's uh, the Sunni interpretation that this is uh, Ahlul Bayt in this verse means uh, the wives hmm. is actually much more plausible and makes a lot more sense right. than uh, but, the Shia but, the, but the Sunnis don't take Ahlul Bayt that seriously. It's not that important to them, right? Um, it's Muhammad. No, no, not as, that, not as what important. What they would do is, yeah. yeah, when I would give them the example when I was younger, uh, as a Shia believer, and I used to tell them, I'm like, listen, who would know Muhammad better? Like a bunch of Sahaba who just hung out with him for a few, a couple of years, a few months, and wrote down stuff, or his family members who lived with him, knew what he was like, who grew up with him. So, then they would tell me they'd be like, you know, who the other family members were? Abu Lahab and Abu Jahal, his uncles. Right. So his family, blood doesn't mean anything in Islam. Hmm. So, right. so blood doesn't mean anything in Islam is a very anti-Shia thing to say. Uh, that is, yeah, completely. So let me actually, I don't, so the podcast people will not be able to see this, but I have a Quran right now in front of me. And, I, um, and one thing you notice about the Quran is that it's not that, it's a very small book, right? It's not that much in there, right? Uh, most of Islam comes from the Hadith and the Tafsir. And also the biography of Muhammad, right? And compared to the Quran, which is a very small book, those are, you can fill libraries with those, right? So they're like just the Hadith Bukhari is like a huge volume of books. And then you have, so you have six sources of Hadith, which is the sayings of um, either Muhammad or for Shias, the saying of both Muhammad and also the 12 Imams. Uh, and you have four, so, so you have six author, main books for Sunnis, and you have four main books for Shias, and then you have the Tafsir, which is uses Tafsir means the commentary on the Quran, so 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 that you could see, like mentions what each one of these verses actually means, right, and what is referring to. But the thing about the Tafsir is that the Tafsir relies on the Hadith to interpret the Quran, right? So you have the Hadith. And you have the tafsir, and you have the biography, and those together are much more text than the Quran is. And those, all of that text is responsible for their more laws and ways of living and ways of governing, way more than the Quran is itself. I mean, so the Quran is at the center, but how you view the Quran is all that text. So all that text around the Quran, where does it come from? And this is where the Sunnis and Shia are different. So the Quran they, for them is both for both of them is the, is the same. But given that the Hadith, so given that the Shias believe in the twelve Imam and they have a lot uh, other sources of Hadith and the Sunnis, and given given that they have different sources, all that volume of text that is around the Quran is very different, and that makes their practices, their theology, 
and the way they look at the world and themselves very different. Even though the Quran is at the center of it, the way they look at the Quran is different because of the people that they listen to, uh, the people that they see as authority uh, on interpreting the Quran. Does that make sense, Heli? You're, you're muted. You're muted. You're yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I'm not muted anymore. Yeah. Apologies. No. I, I, I do have a cough and everything. So every time I cough, I try to mute myself. So, so that does that, did that make sense? Did that make sense? Yeah, it did make sense. There are a couple of questions here from the patrons. So Adlock Hungry is asking, what's the tafsir? Tafsir is exegesis. Uh, the, uh, like, you know, how you have the Bible and then you have people who interpret the Bible. They go like verse by verse, passage by passage, and they talk about the historical context, what it yeah. meant, what the significance of it is. Um, so there, it's an explanation of it. That you have a similar process with the Quran. So it's it's Quranic exegesis. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, okay. Another. There's three 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 things three takes that you need to know. Had the hadith. So other than the Quran, you have the hadith, you have the tafsir, and you have the biography. The hadith is the saying of Muhammad. Uh, for 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 Shias is saying of Muhammad plus the Imams. The tafsir is the commentary on the Quran and the interpretation of the Quran. And it uses the hadith as a source to uh, to to do the commentary, and then you have the biographies. The biographies, um, I don't know. There's is there much difference in the biographies between Shia, uh, the for Shias and Sunnis? I don't think. Yeah, there are, but they're they're kind of minor. Like it really gets into the details. Like the right. actual details of them are different. But I think for the most part, all the, a lot of the basics are the same. Like, for instance, there's a Shia-Sunni difference in uh, how many daughters did Muhammad have, right? Okay. So the Sunnis, they believe the Khadija and Muhammad had several daughters. Uh, and with the Shia, they, they say that, you know, you only had one daughter. And if there were other ones from Khadija, there were stepdaughters that were from a previous husband or, or whatever. Right. So, so there, there, there are minor things like that. So, However, um, yeah, So, so just, just for... for... Sunni is the main source of hadith. The two, so there's six books, right? There's six books, right? But the two one that people mention the most as always the authority, like there's there's no mistakes in it. Everything in it is sahih. Sahih means uh, correct, like or um, or uh, you know, so or something that you can rely on in, in hadith is the sahih Muslim hadith uh, Muslim and uh, Bukhari. Right? Bukhari is even bigger than Sahih Muslim. So you have Sahih Muslim and Sahih Bukhari. For Shias, mm -hmm. the main one, I think, is Kafi, which is weird because for most of my Shia life, I thought it was Nahjul Balagheh, but Nahjul yeah. Balagheh is just a literally, you know, like, it's not like, it's mostly just Ali's writings. It's just the poetic ones rather it's than... It's a sermons. It's a yeah. collection of his sermons. Right, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, sorry, you wanted to add something? Uh, no, I, I think yeah. I think that that's basically it's a source of uh, uh, the source of where they get how to practice Islam. The Sunni get it from uh, the, um, the the books of the Hadith, like from Bukhari and Muslim and the rest, and the Shia get it from the Alabet, which is which is the family of Muhammad and, right. and his descendants. So, so what's the main so. pillar? Main difference? So the main difference will that leads to the pillars, right? The fi the right. the five pillars. Uh, right. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. So the the five pillars, like there are in in Shiism, you've got 
So with the Sunni, you know, you've heard of the five pillars. Everybody's heard of the Shahada, which is a declaration that there is no God but God and uh, but Allah and, and, and Muhammad as his messenger. Uh, you have prayer, which is Salah, right? You pray five times a day. Uh, you've got um, Saum, which is uh, fasting. Uh, so in the, in the month of Ramadan, you fast um, from sunrise to sunset. Uh, there's uh, Hajj, which is a pilgrimage uh, to Mecca. You should do every year if you can. I mean, at least once in your lifetime, if you're able to, you should you should perform it. And the final one is zakat, which is a form of charity and alms giving uh, that Sunnis do. So those are uh, considered the five pillars of Islam. Now, all of those are also part of yeah uh, of Shiaism. But the Shia, the way that they break it down in terms of belief in their theology, is their actual quote unquote pillars are something called the Usul al-Din, and the Usul al-Din. Um, there are two things. Usul al-Din, there's the Amal al-Din. So there's the the beliefs of the religion, and then there's the practices of the religion. The practices of the religion are the same as the Sunni, right? The prayer and fasting and going to Hajj and, and almsgiving charity. They also have another form of charity called Khums. Um, but the the basic pillars for Shia Islam are called the Usul al-Din, and they are five. The first one is Tawheed. Tawheed means that there's only one God. So you have to believe in the oneness of God. The second is Adal. Adal means uh, belief in justice. The fact that Allah is just and he's not going to do injustice to you. Debatable. And we'll, we'll editorialize later. Um, the, the third one is Nabuat, which means uh, belief in uh, all of the prophets. Nabi means a prophet. So these are the prophets and the messengers of God. Uh, then the fourth one is Imamat, and these, this is belief in uh, the descendants of, of Muhammad. So after Muhammad, there's uh, Ali, and then after Ali, it's Hassan, Hussein. Um, some subsects don't believe in Hassan, but okay, Hussein, Zainal Abedin, Muhammad Bakr, Jafar Sadiq, Musa Qazim, Ali Reda, Muhammad Taki, Ali Naki, Hassan Askari, and then, then Mahdi. Those are the ones for the mainstream version of yeah. Shia Islam, which is we, the yeah, we know We know there are Shias that believe in less imams than 12 imams right but like the smileys smileys. but right now when we mention shia we're talking about the mainstream shia islam which is the 12-er shia islam that believes in 12 Uh, imams right right Uh, Right. so hold on let me just finish the pillars and then the fifth one hmm. is qayama qayama means uh, the belief Hmm. in the day of judgment the day of resurrection at the afterlife everybody's gonna die and then after that we will there'll be a reckoning these five pillars in Shia and Sunni, they don't mean much because all the five pillars of the Sunnis, Shias believe in it as well. And all the five pillars of Shias, Sunnis believe in those as well, except the Imams, right? But so it's so four of the five pillars of the Shias, Sunnis believe in it, in it as well. So it's just what they pick to call their pillars. And, um, the interesting thing is that uh, the Shias pick Tawheed, the oneness of God. One, as one of their main pillars, but th- this is exactly what Sunnis accuse Shias of missing, okay? Right. Because Sunnis claim that they, they there's only one entity that is divine, and they consider divine, and that's God. They don't even see Muhammad as divine. It's just God that is divine and nothing else. But that's is deb- debatable. Because the Quran, if it's the un- if the Quran is the uncreated word of God, uh, then then the Quran is divine as well, which challenges the concept of Tawheed, the oneness of God. But that's something that people fought over 
the Mortazilites and stuff. But but the but the Sunnis accuse Shias of seeing the twelve Imams as holy and divine, and mm. they're like, this is the and to have partners to God is the greatest sin in Islam. To have partners to God is seen as shirk. And shirk is the oh, great shirk. Shirk yeah. is the greatest sin in, in Islam. And Shia say no, we're not doing shirk because we don't worship these imams. But the Sunni say it looks like it's worshiping. Like they say, is is you're praying to them, you're kissing their shrines, and like for example, you see Shias pray sometimes to Imam Hussein, ask some so, or, or Ali, yeah. or Ali. Uh, or go, they go to the shrines of the imams, or even the children of the imams, the twelve imams, and they put, they kiss the shrines, they pray to the shrines, and the the Sunnis are. This is idol worship. You're worshiping the shrines. You're kissing objects. Um, you are you are praying to pe something other than God, and this is this is exactly what is shirk. Like if this is not shirk, then what the hell is shirk? Right, so right, so so they, yeah, they and, the and, Sunni say that the Shias missed the most important, the most important part of Islam is Tawheed, which is the oneness of God and having no partners to God, and the Sunni say the Shias missed that entire point. But go on. Right, and and uh, and the Shia view is that they they say that they're consistent. They say no, every prayer that we we may tell Hussein, we pray to Hussein to transmit a prayer to God but ultimately the prayer is going to God mm. and everything that we if we're praying at a shrine right we're going to pray at that shrine because we want to get you know these are divinely guided imams so we talk to them and they pass our prayer on to God so the prayer is ultimately going there the imam or the shrine that we're praying to is merely a vehicle mm. and then they also bring up it's actually I always found this interesting because they called it bidda or innovation uh, you know that the Shia pray to the imams and that it's idolatry if they go to shrines and everything. But you know, if you look at Hajj, that's like yeah. kissing the black stone. <laughs> that's uh... I mean, all the Sunnis do it. They go and they're right. like salivating over the black stone. Right. Shias and Sunnis alike. They're circling a black box that is obviously yeah. you saying. I mean, going spending their life savings to go to Hajj so they can circle a black box, so, throwing stones at rocks at a three pillars that are supposed to represents satan and people get trampled to death while they do that mm. um so, so so a lot of these things you know there is a like neither of these sects really have a lot of introspection into how a lot of their own practices are very similar to right um the others it's it's kind of so just a mini story when i was a kid when we first uh, i lived in iran which is a shia country and when we first went uh, to our first vacation to Dubai, which is in United Arab Emirates, which is a Sunni country, uh, the UAE, um, I remember hearing the Azan. First of all, I was very surprised to hear the Azan like so many times, like five times instead of three times a day. Uh, but one thing that I noticed in the Azan, as the Azan is the call to prayer, which the, the mosque play over the loudspeakers for everybody to know it's time to pray. But... The Azan was missing a part that I was used to hearing in Iran. So the, it started the same way, that, uh, but the, the part that... So 
it gets to the part that it says Ashadu Anna Muhammad Rasulullah which means I testify that Muhammad is the Prophet of God but then it skipped the part that we have in Iran which says Ashadu Anna Ali and Waliullah which also means that I testify that Ali is how do you translate Wali to English? Ali is the uh, I don't really know. Ali is the agent oh, gonna... of God? Yeah, in a way, a representative. Let me just look that up actually. I think that. Valley would be agent would be a good translation, I think. I'm just making that up. Yeah. Agent Valley. Velayat. Yeah, so yeah. But yeah, the Azan, the Adhan is different. So uh, yeah, it's missing Adhan. it's yeah. very interesting that it's missing that every call to prayer the Shia and the Sunni call to prayer is different and is missing that part which Ali, the first Imam of Shias, is not mentioned in the Sunni call to prayer which shows how this the differences in theology it, show, it, it shows itself in all the different ways that they practice. Yeah, but do you want to mention some of the ways that practices are different between the, how these differences in um, theology uh you know shows itself in practices well one of the ways it shows itself in practices is just that uh they want to um uh, uh, they just want to show that they're different so uh the, <laughs> so so one thing is they pray differently okay the way that they do salat so the quran doesn't really have a specific consensus on how many times a day you should pray hmm. so there are five prayers uh, separate prayers, but so both Sunnis and, and and Shia believe in that there are five major compulsory prayers. Uh, they are Fajr, which is uh, early in the morning, Dawn, Dhuhr, uh, Asr, Maghrib, and Isha. Right. So so the way that the Sunnis do it is Fajr is again crack of dawn, Dhuhr is during noon, uh, Asr is the afternoon, Maghrib is during sunset, and then Isha is after sunset before you go to bed. Those are the five prayers. But the Shia sheet, they times. make they turn it into three. Right. So what the Shia do is they have the same five prayers, but they do it at three times. So they'll do Fajr at the crack of dawn, like the Sunnis. Then they'll do Dhuhr and Asr together, <laughs> right, in the afternoon. Then they'll do Maghrib and Isha together in the evening. So that, it's three times. That saves now, the, you a the, lot the, of time. Yeah, so what you do is you basically take the the end, the later time for when the hard time is ending, and the beginning time for Asr, and you do both of those together, and you do the same thing in Maghrib and Isha. But um, the prayers are valid as long as you, uh, you know, do them within those three major time frames. So that's one difference that they'll do it differently. The way that they pray is also different. Which so Beach is asking in the live chat. So now you're going to answer that, yeah. Right. So the way that the the hands are placed, Beej is saying, is there a difference between uh, where the hands are placed above or below the belly button? Um, within Sunnis, it can be either. So they can it can be across the chest. You can have one hand over the other, and uh, across the chest. You can have it on the belly, which is what you see most of the time, you know, on TV when you see Muslims praying. Um, but the way that the Shia, the Ethnothri Shia pray, is they have their arms completely open to their sides. The reason for this is they believe that uh, the, the infidels once, long time ago, oh. they went to uh, the the mosque uh, of Mecca in the, in the Kaaba, and uh, while they were they had their hands together and they had their hands tied, they had uh, hidden small little tiny idols. 
<laughs> miniature go- idol gods. And then when they would go down into bowing, they would open up their hands and they'd leave the idols in the mosque. Um, and to uh, counter that, you know, Muhammad said, okay, everybody open up your arms and pray with your arms Wait, by really? Your side. I didn't know that story. Is this, is this authentic hadith or is this... No, this is a Shia hadith. Shia, they, they don't have the sort of levels of authenticity the, the, the way the Sunnis do. So, so. so actually, it's in school, our religion teacher made fun of Sunnis and he, I think he made the story up. I don't know if this is true or not, but they're like, oh, uh, Moab... All of it's made up. I know, anyway. okay, yeah, but I, yes, all, all of it is made up by... This is a different level of made up. Like it's not even. I don't think this is even canon in Islam. Uh, we know. I, okay. By the way, for the people, we yeah, we know we're a bunch of atheists. We're saying which parts are made up. When we say this is made up, uh, we're talking about the belief, what no, they no. believe. Yeah. No. So. So. Okay. So there's different levels of made up. Uh, as in, there are some things that is canon in Islam according to Shias and canon in Islam according to Sunnis. But even though all of that is still made up, there are, there are Shias and Sunnis that go out and say stuff that is not even canon. You know what I mean? Like it's, they're just making stuff up even beyond what it was supposed to be agreed upon made up fairy tales. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I'm, just, I, I'm just from a perspective of a Shia or Sunni, I'm saying this is made up, I think. Right? So the, our teacher said that Moavia, which was one, a Sunni leader, he looked at the Romans and saw that they they stand like this with their hands together and he liked it so he just copied the Romans and that's why Sunnis put their hands like this because Moavia was copying the Romans and they say this is why the way Sunnis pray is not Islamic because they're just copying Romans. Um, but another thing that is different is the way they do the vizu which is the, uh, the washing that you do before the spiritual washing with water that you do before you pray. The Shias, I think the Shias are lazy because I did, I just recently learned how to do the Sunni one. Mm-hmm. I, I was in, I was in Israel and the Sunni showed me how to do, I went to a Sunni, I went to a mosque in Israel and they showed They wash me, their feet every time. No, yeah, and they, they put the water up their nose and they wash their hand like a lot of, uh, they, they put the water in their mouth and they spit it out three times. And it's a lot of work, actually, compared to the Shias. They just boom, 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 done, right? I yeah. think, like, a lot of the Shia version of the, both the prayer and the vuzu is just a lazy way. <laughs> it's just a faster, more time-efficient way of what the Sunnis do. Um, but I guess the Sunnis would say that's just, we're, we're just cleaner, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, so... Um... Okay, so here's a problem with that. So here, this is also a Quranic thing. This is a Quranic difference, interpretive difference between them. And this actually is rooted in Surah 5, Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse 6. Okay, and this is about where it actually tells you whether you wipe your feet or whether you wash your feet. So it's not just laziness, uh, Armin. This is actually a legitimate interpretive difference. And then here's what it is. So the verse actually says, Wamsahu, the masa, wamsahu means to wipe. Biruusikum, which means your head, right? Waarjulakum, which means and your feet. So it actually says wipe your head, heads and your feet, right? Right. It, it, it says that. However, right, so, that, so that is where the Shia say, like, hey, it says wipe your head and your feet. It's right in order. There's a verb, wipe, 
It's a direct object head and feet, so you have to wipe both of them. But the translation of this, actually, there's a difference between, this can be hard to explain for an English audience, but you know zabarzer? So the verb has to be opposite to the direct object. So the verb that actually applies to... Um, getting very uh, ner very nerdy and uh... yeah the word that actually applies to the <laughs> to the feet is uh fagsilu, right it's fagsilu, okay right because it's arjulakum so it okay, has to... that's too much detail now but yeah that, makes... now that I, I, all i'm saying is uh, to forget i won't get into too much detail but the verb comes before the wiping thing even though the direct object of feet comes after the wipe verb the that the feet actually applies to the verb before that okay, because okay. there is a way, there's a pattern. The so, the Sunnis are, <laughs> are correct on this. So here's the, this is the consensus, this is the, not the consensus, this is the, um, this is a conclusion here. The Sunnis are actually correct on this, that you're supposed to wash your feet according to this Quranic verse. But the Shia, it's really hard to blame them for reading this and saying, because, you know, why didn't God put the right direct object after the right verb? Like what the fuck, All right? So there's a so so. I, although you have sympathy for the Shias and you're like, okay, if I was God, I'd forgive him. I'm like, okay, listen, I kind of screwed <laughs> up this whole grammatical arrangement in this verse, so I don't blame yeah. you for thinking that you have to wipe your feet. But yeah, uh, you know, it's God I that God watch. fucked up. He should have been more better. By the way, uh, I yeah. think Uday is complaining that we don't we're not taking questions. Guys, if you want us to answer questions, make sure you tag Secular Jadis. And Ali, can you make sure that you copy and paste the questions if it's not something we're talking about right now, so that we make sure that we get back get to the questions. Yeah, yeah, we're right. gonna we're gonna go to them. So, guys, just realistically, uh, for the patrons out there, we've got loads of questions this time, so we probably won't get to all. No, of no, them, no, so no. We gonna... promised last time that we're gonna get to the questions huh? this time. Last time we didn't get to questions. We said we this time we're gonna get to questions. So you can't say that. I now. know, but there's. Uh, we won't be able to get to all like there's a lot of them okay I mean, okay, we'll, take we'll, a whole okay we'll try to get okay. to it just make sure you tag a secular judges if you really want to make sure we get to a question yeah. and make sure the question is relevant to what we're talking about okay um we're gonna try our best okay right. so let, let's just go through this quickly. let's say let's go through the additional differences so that's the difference between shia the the prayer and the wudu there's also a difference between the way that they fast so fasting is um, the way that the Sunnis do it is it's uh, the main difference is when they open their fast and when they start their fast. Right? So the, the, the Shia fast, unfortunately, is longer. This is something that annoyed me because I grew up in Saudi Arabia and all the Sunnis would start eating 10 minutes before we did and we had to wait. We we're so, so hungry at the end of this. So, so fasting, basically, you start at sunrise and you don't eat any food or drink any water. No water either from sunrise to sunset. And then when it comes time for sunset, at the beginning of sunset, Sunnis, they open, they break their fast, and they can start eating. So we'd watch all the Sunnis do it, but the Shia have to wait 10 more minutes until the end of sunset. So that's another difference. Oh, I didn't beginning know that. Of sunset, that's interesting. But you didn't know that they open it later? You knew no. that. No, no, I didn't know that. I just know the Shia version. But but there is another difference in Ramadan as well. The Sunni uh, for Sunnis, Ramadan is a lot more festive than for Shias. Like so, for Sunnis, it's a lot more uh, celebrations involved in during Ramadan. But for Shias, because it's also the time that Ali was killed, and mm. Shias are obsessed with always crying and hitting themselves and wearing black. 
Um, there's not that much celebrations in Shia Islam. Well, that, that goes for the entire year, Armin. <laughs> and, and, no, Shia and is, the only Shias enjoy being upset and being always cry. They have most of most of the Shia traditions are about being so upset that Ali died, being so upset that Hussein died, and you know. Basically, that's mostly, and also for being yeah, being upset Sunni... that Fatima also died. So Sunni is like that's why I, I didn't like when I saw some eventually saw some Sunni what Sunnis do during Ramadan. I'm like, wow, this is a lot more festive <laughs> than what I'm used to. Yeah, they're that's like Muharram. They're celebrating the new year, whereas right. we're like uh, ready, getting ready to cry. So that's another thing. Like that, the Sunniism is is sort of like the uh, the glam rock of. Uh, of Islam and Shiaism is more like the Gothic rock or the grunge of Islam. <laughs> right? or, or just more, okay. yeah, or, or literally death metal, you know. Right. So, you know, where so Shiaism is is all about more. But death now, metal, now, again, death metal with more crying and pretending to cry. Crying, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so there's a, um, but but at the same time, like uh, in Shiaism, what's interesting is that uh, even the the majlis and you know the morning rituals, you know, you go there and people cry, they beat themselves, and then. After that, it becomes a social event. That's where they socialize. They go there, they hang out, they have tea. They, you know, after all the crying's over. So yeah, but it's, it's kind of interesting. There's a lot it's of a, like there's a scene as any. What do you guys call it? Like you have to hit yourself. Okay, but we, um, do you want? Yeah. Oh, you're gonna talk about Maharam later, right? We're, but, we're gonna get to that in a bit. But, but let's just yeah. So but we'll what, go through what, this. Th I just want to read one of the comments. Um, Adlock is saying, "Dang, literally a major religious difference based on grammar." Actually, there's a. We're not going to get through that, but there's a lot of examples like that. Where so, one thing that people have to note is that the Quran, the original Quran, didn't have any dots or any vowels. The dots and vowels were added later. So the divine part of the Quran, according to Muslims, doesn't have the dots and the vowels. And well, there's some vowels, but yeah, but the right the uh, uh, yeah. yeah okay so there some yeah, of the, the vowels right so the, uh, the the alif and the wow and all that yeah yeah oh yeah right the alif is a vowel that was there yeah, yeah. but the a uh, a uh, o oh, is not there right but so that means that there are parts of the Quran that could mean completely not completely but something else based on where you put the vowels and where you put the dots right so. And I, I don't remember exactly where this is, but there are some parts that the Shias and Sunni actually disagree on exactly what that word is. And it completely changes the meaning of that verse based on where you put the vowel. So there are many examples of this on not only the difference in the grammar and the meaning of the words in the Quran, but also it would be a completely different word according to Shias and according to Sunnis. And it has huge uh, different interpretations based on what your view on those words are, right? Mm -hmm. But go on, Ellie. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, so, so there, there's that. At, Hajj is pretty much the same. The other practices, I mean, these are the differences between some of them. Oh, Hajj. Now, I, I, I do have to say, I have to bring in the, um, you know, one of the, again, I'm only in passing, some of the minor sects of Shiism, for example, uh, the Ismailis, who are also Shia, they still like Ali, they love the Imams. Uh, but for them, they believe in the six major imams and, and all of their descendants coming to this day. They actually don't believe in the morning. 
ritual. They Who? don't believe in self-flagellation. The Ismailis. The Ismail- Who That's cares a- about the Ismailis? Forget the Ismailis. Nobody cares. <laughs> no, they're, they're but my- just, This is only... Uh, I'm only mentioning this in passing just because um, they are also considered Shia, but some of their fundamental... And they don't pray the way that uh, okay, Sunnis are To be Shias, fair, but, the, so- the Ismailis were the original Shias, but now they're not that big of a deal. They're not uh, that big of a deal. Okay. Right. So, but, uh, but there's a difference now, in Hajj. One, there's one thing different in Hajj is when Shias... Uh, okay, so Saudi Arabia owns the uh, area where you're supposed to go... The, the, by Hajj... Did we even tell people what we mean by Hajj? Hajj is like going to Kaaba, which every Muslim is supposed to do. Yeah, the pilgrimage. Every Muslim yeah, is supposed to do. For Shias, there's two different kinds of pilgrimage. One is to the, Ka- the Kaaba in, in Saudi Arabia... But another one is to Karbala in 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 uh, Iraq, and they don't admit yeah. it. The Karbala one means more to them than the, than actually going to the Kaaba. Yeah, but officially the it's lesser priority, and it's not, officially it's not as lesser. Pri- officially for Shias, the going to Kaaba in Mecca is more important than going to Karbala. But emotionally, going to Karbala means a lot more to Shias than when they go to Hajj in, in Saudi Arabia. Because Karbala is where their imam died and they won't admit it, but that means more to them. But when right. you go to Hajj, and that's in Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia is a very, very authoritarian Sunni country. But the problem is that there's a lot of places that is very important for Shias, other than the Kaaba itself, in Mecca and in Medina, that they cannot go to and pray and give proper respect to because Saudi Arabia controls it, right? So, like, what what are some of the places where people, like Fatima's uh, uh, death, you know, yeah, yeah the, so the is, graves are the I graves. Remember me and my brother, when we were kids, we got to sneak into when we went to Masjid al Nabawi in, in Medina. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a closed off portion in the middle that's guarded by people where they've got little holes in it, and you can look into that's supposed to be Muhammad's house, right? And you know, we did get a sneak peek into it, like just because we sneaked. We so, were there's kids. a lot of places that other than the Kaaba that is that she has re- and so, it's for their imams and also for Muhammad himself that people that she has see as holy and divine. But I remember a lot of Shias say that when they want to, they beg, they cry, they want to hold on to it, and there's like Saudi police like hitting them because they consider this like blasphemy. Yeah. They consider this shirk, and they hit them. Try, they tell them, and they the the Shias sometimes they say they tell us they cry. They they, they see that it's not the shrine. It's not be, like they think like if Shias. They, they think Shias one day will destroy Saudi Arabia, they will topple the Saudi government, and they give the proper respect that these shrines in Saudi Arabia deserve. They will make the, the, the places where their, their imams are buried, they will turn them into shrines. They think that this, but... So that, that is the main place. That's Jannat al-Baqi, right, is in Medina, right. in Saudi Arabia. And that is a place where a lot of the imams and a lot of the sort of like historical Shia, revered Shia figures are buried. And what they've done is like they have bulldozed it down. Yeah, uh, Saudi government bulldozed it down because they think yeah, it's, yeah. it's shirk, it's, it's idol worship or worshiping mm-hmm. of dead people if you, if, you, if you go and try to pray towards those. Now, yeah. now what they do is like going to those uh, graves and going to these different shrines and praying. There's a, 
this is a, a ritual called ziara, right? That that a lot of Shias do. They go to the you know these shrines and these graves and they do that. Now, what's interesting is Medina has a lot of Shia Saudis. A lot of the Saudi Shias actually do live in Medina. So when we went there as Shias, we did find a cab driver. As like almost every single time, there's always a cab driver, somebody who's hanging around Jannat al-Baqi, right? And just coming up to Shias quietly and saying, hey, do you guys want to do Ziara? <laughs> and then they would do it. So so we always had this hey, kid, uh, great hey, bond kids, with... Hey, kids, do you want to do this? <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like we, a drug. It's kind of like a like a local drug dealer or something. <laughs> but Medina, I'll tell you the people in Medina. Uh, this is so weird because look, I've said openly said stuff that Shias are completely wrong about the Quranic thing, like Ayatul here and the and the and the thing about wiping the the feet. But um, I gotta say one thing that in Medina the people were maybe because we were Shia and they felt a kinship with us. But in Mecca, like the people are generally assholes. But in Medina, man, the, like the people were amazing. Everybody was really storekeepers were very, very honest. You know, cab wait, drivers. Wait, wait, for people that don't know, you're talking about two different cities in Saudi Arabia, okay? Like, right, yeah, right. Get, so, go to the basic, basic, yeah. The basic, yeah. The Mecca is the, the biggest. That's where the Kaaba is, and then Medina is where the Mosque of Muhammad is, right. where he used to live, and so on. But, but, it, but, yeah, we went there. I remember my brother's jacket. He left his jacket in. Uh, a cab and that cab this is before the internet or anything cab driver no uber no nothing he went around the city looking for us an hour later he found us to give us back the jacket Ooh. and i'll never forget that it was i mean the the people there were great and they have the best fucking shawarmas ever so okay so let, let's get back on topic right so so for for shias we have 12 imams and they buried in different places throughout the middle east right so where they are, when they are buried in Shia majority countries, Shia consider themselves lucky. For example, Imam Reza is in Iran. A lot of um, Ali, um, Hussein, they're in they're in uh, what is now Iraq, right? Even uh, parts of them, like Hussein's head, is supposedly in a different place than his body because he was beheaded. Oh shit! I didn't know that. But the thing, but the interesting thing is that uh, even though Iraq is mostly uh, Shia. Uh, when Saddam was in Saddam was Sunni and he so it was ruled by a Sunni leader and Shias for a very long time couldn't pr do properly do their customs the Ashura and everything uh, under Saddam so when Saddam was toppled um, all the Shias for the first time in Iraq got and managed to do their Ashura properly and the amount of Shias that actually showed up to do that shocked the whole world including the Shias themselves to see their numbers right um, mm. and now and now Iraq is is majority Shia and ruled by Shias uh, arguably ruled by Iran now uh, but mm -hmm. uh, but now uh, so you have but the, the problem for Shias is that a lot of their imams is now in Saudi, buried in Saudi Arabia. And I just recently actually saw a sermon, uh, a poet uh, doing uh, in front of an audience uh, in front of Khamenei, the leader, uh, the supreme leader, uh, religious leader in Iran. He was giving a, a, a very emotional very aggressive uh, poem he's he wrote it and he was reading it and he was promising that Iran and the Shias will one day destroy the Saudi government and will turn these burial grounds of their imams in Saudi Arabia into proper shrines um, 
yeah, another th another interesting thing is I, I just recently came from Israel in Jerusalem when I went to the Dome of the Rock or the Quds, uh, but, uh, you know, so uh, when I I went to a place where I wasn't supposed to go because only Muslims are supposed to go, but they I passed all the tests, so I, they thought I was Muslim. Uh, but I went inside the Dome of the Rock and there was this guy there that came to me and he said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Iran. Uh, and he's like, okay, follow me. And he showed me the mihrab of Imam Ali because he thought if I'm from Iran, I, that's must, that must be where I, what I want to see. <laughs> Can you explain what a mihrab is? Mihrab is, okay, so a mihrab is where you like the, uh, where you go and pray, like with people behind you, you know, like it's a, it's a, anywhere it could be a mihrab, like where Imam or somebody goes pray. But what I noticed in, in Jerusalem or at least in the Dome of the Rock and the mosque surrounding it is that every mihrab was was there was a story behind it like they turned the place where Mother Mary got food from the heavens they turned that into a mihrab there where I don't know Ali did something there's this there's a made-up story behind every mihrab but they said like okay this is um, Fatima's mihrab. This is so he showed me the mihrab, the places where they turn into mihrab based on the stories on what Shia, based on the figures that Shias would be interested in, right? So he's like, okay, if you're from Iran, he should let me come here. I'll I'll show you Ali's mihrab, and then he told he took me to somewhere to show me uh, Fatima, Muhammad's daughter's mihrab. But okay, so I have more to say. But do you want to go to the next? Story. Yeah, let's just uh, let's move on to this because uh, I mean we've got a lot to cover. Right. We stopped to talk about Karbala, and we're going to save that uh, to the um, for for near the uh, end of this. That's the last thing we're going to discuss because there's a lot to talk about there. But I just wanted to get a little bit more into uh, some of the differences. Mm. Now, one of the really popular thing that people like talking about is muta. Okay, so muta is a word that literally means joy. But uh, in uh, Islam, means temporary marriage. Okay, so this is different Ooh, from. This is a very sensitive topic. Yeah, it's a sensitive topic. So this is a, a big difference between Shia and Sunni. So initially, it was both Sunni and Shia agree. It was it was allowed in both uh, Shia and Sunni, and the whole idea is that you get married to somebody, literally married. All the same rules of Islamic marriage. You get married. You do the nikah, which is the Islamic uh, marriage vows. Uh, and normally it's permanent till death do you part. But in Muta, you're all, uh, you're also able to uh, set it for a temporary amount of time. Could be a night, could be two uh, two years, whatever. And uh, then after that, the marriage automatically dissolves. Is temporary yeah. marriage. Temporary. Marriage. It's exactly what it sounds like. So, so it it was a way to a lot of people look at it as legalized prostitution. Legal prostitution. So they had a problem with it. Yeah. Um, but uh, the Shia do still allow it because mm. um again they cite the quran they cite surah 4 verse 24 in it so uh, should i i'll just get into you know what it talks about because it seems like everybody enjoys the whole quranic roots of the stuff um so so in, in surah 4 22 starting from there it talks about which women you can marry and which you can't marry so don't marry those women whom your father's married and you know etc don't marry your mothers your daughters your sister that's in 4.23. And then 4.24 is the interesting verse. This is where it all comes in. So it starts off by saying, and also prohibited to you are all married women except those your right hands possess. 
those your right hands possess or Sek- Malaka Daimanukom means your slave. Sex slaves. Your slave girls, captives of war. So the which as in you're actually allowed to have sex with them without marriage. Yeah, no, says, well, not not only without ma- marriage. No, I mean even if they're married. No, no, it is with marriage, right? But they mm. marriage, marriage, rape, potato, potato in Islam. So it's forced marriage, right? right? But the thing is that. Oh no no, uh, no 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 no! You don't you don't have to marry them. Malakat uh, Manakom. No, you don't. It actually says, and prohibited to you are all married women except no, those you're right. No, no, no. Possess. What it means, what it means that if they're married, it's fine. You can still marry them. So it doesn't say you don't have to marry them, but mar- be- marrying them in Islam doesn't mean much because she doesn't have a say in whether you're married. She, she doesn't have a say, but uh, uh, in several other places, Ma Malakat Aymanukom means that you can have sex with slave girls. Yeah, but but right, an Islamic okay. view is that you you force marry yourself to them and then you you then have sex with them. No, no, you don't. You can have sex with them without marriage. It specifically says hmm. and. Uh, to your wives and those who your right hands possess. Oh, okay. Several places in the Quran. So, 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 so but the, the uh, po- only allowed to you. Nobody's allowed to you beyond your wives hmm. and ma malakat aymanukum. So, oh, okay. aside from your wives, you're allowed to have sex with slave girls even if you're not married to them. So that's not ha- that's case, not how it was told to us in school. But what you're saying makes sense. Of course it wasn't. <laughs> <That's> not, <laughs> right. Okay. Of course it wasn't. But no, that is exactly what the what the thing is and. All you have to do is you have to search the Quran for the words ma malakat aymanukum. So, so right? basically, this is very significant it. because this means that this means that um, you know it doesn't matter if they're married or not. You could still rape them because now they're your sex slaves. But how does this? But what does this got to do with? Uh, I mean, you, you're calling it this something. Is a, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in this verse. So we were just okay. at the beginning, oh, okay. but the beginning deals with that. Okay. Hmm. But then it says, uh, so prohibited you are all married women except those that, you know, you capture in war. Okay, this is the decree of Allah upon you and lawful to you are all others beyond these, provided that you seek them in marriage with gifts. So you can have sex with all these other women, provided that you seek them in marriage mm. with gifts from your property, desiring chastity, not unlawful sexual intercourse. So don't have sex with them unlawfully, marry them before you do it. Wait. So for whatever you enjoy of marriage from them, give them their due compensation as an obligation and there is no blame upon you for what you mutually agree to beyond the obligation wait so so, can you explain this because now there's different categories of women apparently right so can you put it in perspective yeah basically what it's saying is and and this is the this is controversial so everything i'm going to say someone out there is going to say it's wrong but some people use this verse to say that, okay, what this is talking about is when you get married to somebody, you have to give them gifts like a dowry and uh, after and you have to mutually agree to certain terms. And this is different uh, from the sex slaves. This is not the sex slaves. This, uh, this uh, is, no, this is beyond that. Yeah, this is okay, beyond did, the Mahmalakat Aynamanakom. Right, right. So the, the sex slaves, you don't have to give them gifts and or anything like that. No, right? no, no. no, 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 Do you, no, no. So, this is the people that you agree to marry. Right, and these are free, here, free Muslim women. Just talking about free Muslim woman. Oh yeah, in muta, in temporary marriage, the woman has to be Muslim. Has to be Muslim, and it's a free, it's not a sex slave. Muslim. It's a free Muslim woman. Okay, go on. Right, and it's some Shia even go on to say that she has to be a descendant of the Ahlul Bayt. Like she has to be. Oh. Like I think so. I yeah. didn't know that. So, okay. So it really depends, but mo- but that's a fringe view. The the main thing is that she has to be Muslim. All the normal rules to uh, mm-hmm. this apply. 
right? So, so what the Shia interpret this verse to mean that you know that you give them their due compensation, then after there's no blame upon you for what you mutually agree to beyond the obligation. They look at this and they say, okay, that means temporary marriage. Now, hmm. before this, Sunnis also this the nikah the, the muta also shows up uh, in the Sunni Islam. I mean, there's a, a Sahih Bukhari hadith. Um, that actually Bukhari says Bukhari is uh, mostly authentic, mostly to Sunnis. Let me Sunnis, put, yeah, yeah right. And and uh, and he, and he said there's a hadith that says that um, that Ali himself outlawed muta because he heard Muhammad say that he was that it was forbidden, and um, he it's a weird hadith because this is what it says. Narrated Ali Bukhari's quoting Ali bin Abu Talib. He's saying on the day of Khabar, Ali Allah's apostle forbade the muta temporary marriage and the eating of donkey meat so just one uh, <laughs> so random one straight up one straight up hadith he's like no temporary marriage and don't eat donkey meat <laughs> so this, this is from <laughs> this is true so this is from volume sahih al-bukhari volume 9 book 86 number 91 you probably have it there somewhere okay um but yeah, so <laughs> okay. But this is something that Sonny's shame she has for a lot. It's just on the agenda that day. Yeah. Yeah. But Sonny is always Sonny's blame she has for like, oh, she does have prostitution. How could you be a Shia? Look at what she has disgusting Shias. They have they have they've legalized prostitution. So like don't be a Shia because that's what the Shias are like. So yeah. So, but but there's a there are a lot of people who are actually doing this like they're getting around for example for example trying to when they're trying to modernize there's some Shia societies I've heard about it in Iran I know it's happening in India and some places yeah, in Pakistan. Yeah, in Iran is actually somebody where, ask if the if this is ha if this is actually happens in Iran. Yes, it's it's legal in Iran. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of uh, religious leaders do it. Yeah. Yeah. So what they'll do is they'll just arrange. You know, why don't you guys? Have a temporary marriage for a year. See how that works out. Well, if you or like half it, an you hour, or five minutes. So it's not, yeah. So it's not just legalized prostitution. This is almost like a way to legalize dating. So it's a way to merge the modern world and and tradition. Um, so so they they try to do that, but again, the Sunnis believe that it's uh, it's banned. Yeah. Um, um, so but, that's actually one one major difference between Shias and. So Shias you wanted to well. talk about Muharram, and that leads to Hamza's question in the live chat as well. When Shias cry during Muharram, how much of that is genuine? Do you want to explain Muharram? Yeah, um, Muharram is a very very powerful thing, and I want to. If you, if you guys have seen, have you guys seen Life of Pi? I'm asking the patrons or whoever is watching the audience. It's like if you see Life of Pi, you know, the conclusion of that is that it doesn't matter which story is true or not. What matters is what is the better story. That is what's going to resonate. We see that in politics. We see that in art. And religion really has that down. The, the story that is the most emotionally connecting to you, that has the most art with it, you know, and again, we've talked about this before in Christianity. There's there's painting and there's art and there's in in Islam there's calligraphy, there's poetry in the Quran, there's music in the way it's recited. There's there's uh, so so all, all of these elements uh, they really really they they tug at the heartstrings. So what happens with the crying and what happens in Muharram, the commemorating the events of Karbala? which is what we talked about in the previous episode. So Karbala, that, for people that haven't seen the previous episode, just really quick, really quick recap. Uh-huh. Go on. Really quick recap is uh, that Muhammad had a grandson. His name was Hussein. 
Um, he went to war with uh, the uh, Caliph Yazid. They were in a, a battle for, uh, the, you know, who's going to be the Caliph of Islam, the, 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 who's the deserving Caliph. Um, uh, Yazid demanded that Ma that Hussein. Okay, let me uh, let me Ma give a faster recap. The third Imam of Shia Muslims, which is one of the most um, one of the most the people one of the most holiest. I mean, most. Uh, loved figures in Shia Islam, right? And I always say it's supposed to be Allah first, Muhammad second, Ali th uh, third, and Hussein like fourth in the in in hierarchy of how, how who you love. But most Shias won't admit it. This is exactly the other way around. The 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 most love among Shias goes for the Hussein more than anyone else. After Hussein, the most the, they love. Ali the most after Ali they love Muhammad and after Muhammad this is, this is the shorter version after Muhammad they love Allah okay but yeah that was okay. it. but Hussein is the most is the is the main person for Shia Muslims and he was killed brutally uh, by by Yazid as along with his entire family yes right so again you know the history the history of this like where it really isn't the first episode so you can check it out but just the long story short, Hussein was a very revered figure. There's a grandson of Muhammad, believed to be part of the uh, the third Imam, divine, divinely divine. guided, right? And, and ma'asum, ma'asum, yeah, without sin right. and pure, without sin and pure. All like twelve the, imams, uh, our twelve, all the twelve imams, uh, are just like Muhammad. Are both divine and ma'asum, which means pure, without sin. Mm -hmm. and also and Fatima, that, that, Fatima also. And that, that's the idea that is rooted in what Shias believe in Surah 33, verse 33, when it says God wants to keep Adrits impurity away from you. So that's why they say the Imams are all divine. But in any case, even though it's probably about the wives of the Prophet, but still, that's before. We already talked about it. So, so he was killed, and, and the Shia think that this is a terrible thing. Now, I'm going to, for the people who don't relate to the who are non Muslim uh, who are listening to this, uh, you know, think about if you read the Da Vinci Code or watched the Da Vinci Code. You know that the assassin, the Da Vinci Code, he did these things where you put barbed wire into his arm to feel the pain. So because Jesus was killed so painfully, mm -hmm. there are some Christians around the world, like in the Philippines and so on, who actually walk on hot coals, who inflict pain upon themselves, who whip themselves. Who put nails to make in their themselves, Yeah, to make themselves feel the pain of what Jesus went through. Right. So they can be at one with their, you know, the, this revered figure who they think that died for their sins, died to save them. Hussein is a very similar figure to, uh, to Shias. Now, they don't believe he was the son of God. They don't think he died for their sins or anything. But they believe that he gave his life to save no, Islam. No, technically, Hussein did die for the, Kufa, the Kufite sin, the people of Kufa. And technically, yeah. the people of Kufa represent the hypocrisy of most Muslims and the betrayal of most Muslims towards Ahlul Bayt. No, so, no, but he, he didn't die in the sense, he didn't take everybody's sins upon him so that the rest of us, all of our sins are forgiven if we accept him as our savior. That's what I mean. Well, okay, yeah, like not, not, not like that, but it's a little bit like that. He did die because sure, of our yeah. sins, and he also did die to save Islam, and Islam is to, to what save saves Islam. us. So it's very, I mean, I know there's a difference from Jesus dying for our sins, but there's some similarities. He did, like, it was... It was pre. He knew that he was going to die, just like Jesus knew he was going to die, and he went and sacrificed himself, anyways, for the sake of the rest of us. Which again is very much like Jesus, Hussein. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so 
Um, so what happened is after this happened, two, there, there were two consequences to this, right? Uh, first of all, you know, Yazid was the visible winner. He was a political winner. You know, he killed a Hussein, Sun killed his entire Yazid family. Was a Sunni leader that so Yazid was the Sunni leader that killed Hussein. Yeah, he was a, he's the guy who killed him. And then, uh, so he was a visible winner to the rest of the world. And uh, people had to know what the story was, right? This is so the tradition goes. People had to know what really happened there and the horrors that Yazid inflicted on uh, the, the family of Muhammad or the Ahlul Bayt, which is mm. super sacred to Shia. So what happened is that the Zainab, who was Hussein's sister, she went out and she started this tradition. She started touring and telling the story. And this is this is called the, the tradition of Majalis, right? Majalis is everybody sits down together. It's like basically a gathering. People sit down and they listen to a story. So she started telling the story of what really happened. Other people who were there started telling the story of what really happened. Um, all of the events of Karbala, how you know his son who was 18 was killed. His six-month-old child was also killed. Um, you know how his uh, the, all of his other family members that the anecdotal the story of each one of them. And she would tell them the, everything in excruciating detail. And the way that people responded was that they cried. This is a pretty sad story. Um, and the and stories are started, pretty sad. Like it's pretty good. They are nice. Like it's very. Uh, I think Hossein's story is more interesting than Muhammad's story. It is. So if you if you've ever watched a movie that's just devastatingly sad and it brought you to tears, even though you know that it's a completely fictional movie. Right. Mm. Um, it, it, this is basically like that. But the people listening to it, it's not fictional for them. They actually think this is the truth. And this happened to right. somebody that they deeply, deeply love, like Jesus for, for a so, lot of Christians. So let me, so, let me so tell you, actually, like in Iran, because this is we are forced to cry as uh, throughout like every freaking year we have to like they force us to cry. If you don't cry, you're a horrible person. If you grow with, up with this, you end up not emotionally being attached to these stories because they forced it on you right but as an ex-muslim it's interesting i found the stories more when i after being away from islam and then revisiting the stories i i kind of it emotionally felt it more than when i was a muslim because when i was a muslim these stories was forced on us and they were like constantly asking us to cry and we hated these stories but then when I was separated from these stories and revisited them as an atheist, I kind of, it, it kind of, I felt something, I felt some sympathy for Hussein because, because it was, I was just reading it as a story rather than something that was being told right. that we have to, we have to feel, right? Go on. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, that kind of happens. The phenomenon yeah. we've talked about as well. Hmm. You just see it in a completely different light. So, but that's so, Muharram. So, yeah, Muhar what is Muharram? What is Muharram though? So, so what happens in Muharram is when did this happen? This happened when, uh, like again, connecting to the first episode in the series, you know, when Muhammad made his migration, he started going towards Kufa, where you know uh, the, the people had invited him, uh, saying that you know we sympathize with you, we're going to help you defeat Yazid, right? Mm. And they betrayed him. So during his, uh, you know, so the first of Muharram is uh, really when the whole thing started. The trip started uh, on the seventh of Muharram. Uh, they were the, the water was cut off. Muharram is the first month in the in the Islamic New Year. Uh, sorry, the Islamic year. It, it is not uh, first month in the Islamic year, which is based on the lunar calendar. So the first of Muharram is when the trip happens, and then seventh of Muharram is when they cut off the water. Um, the tenth of Muharram, or Ashura, Ashura, uh, Ashura means ten in Arabic. 
Um, the tenth of Muharram is when all of them go out because they can't live without water anymore. They need the water. They go out and they start fighting, knowing that they're going to be killed because they're totally outnumbered and, and outweaponed and everything. Mm. And then they go and this major sacrifice and this massacre happens on, on the tenth. So Ashura, to commemorate that, um, Shia Muslims uh, do a lot of things. The vast majority of them just do matham. They beat themselves uh, to the beat of uh, these sort of songs. They're songs they're called, like you call them Naha, or you can call them Salams or Marcia in, in South Asia. I don't know what you call them in uh, in Iran. But <clears throat> so they do that, and then they beat their chest to the beat. Like, uh, uh, do you want me to Rose. sing one of them? Um, go on. With my sore throat? Sure, sure, so sure. it goes like this. I'm going to beat my chest to this. I, I don't know if you can we, hear it. In goes, Iran, we call it Rosa Khuni. But go on. Rosa Khuni? Yeah. So here's an Urdu one. It goes, Surahe Sotere Waliya Dilbar So you, you, do you hear me beating my chest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do that. So you see there's a musicality to it. The yeah. beating of the chest is the rhythm. So that's the lightest form of self-flagellation. And it's actually quite pleasant. But then... They also get, they, they also go out on Ashura, and then there are some people, and a lot of them, they take blades and they cut their backs. They they make themselves that's, bleed. Yeah, that's a debate between Shias, but the Shias disagree on this, right? So in Iran, this has been made illegal by Khamenei to use a blade, but some Shias yeah. still do it illegally. Uh, but there's these uh, there's the Shia imams in Iran, Shirazi imams, which they think that Khamenei is wrong to make the blade. The bleeding illegal that you should bleed um you know they say how pathetic it is that you can't even bleed for hussein but yeah right, so there's right. a there's a debate between shias whether it's okay to make yourself bleed or not during this right right so but uh, people do it anyway yeah uh, so there's self-flagellation people walk on hot coals and they do you know all of that stuff Right. So, um, but but yeah, let, let me just put this in perspective for everybody. So we told you why Sunnis hate Shias because they think that they are basically have missed out on the most important part of Islam, which is Tawheed with oneness of God. Uh, they're praying to these Imams, but given how important these Imams are to Shias, if you look at all their stories, right? So it's not there's actually more than twelve. There's twelve. There's Muhammad, holy to both of them. Then you have the 12 Imams, which is only holy to Shias. And then you have Fatima, the daughter of Muhammad, which is also only holy to Shias. So you have the 12 Imams plus Fatima. That's 13 figures that is divine, con con 13 figures that are divine to Shias and not divine to Sunnis. But all these 13, almost, I think, I think all of them, all of these 13 holy figures to Shia Muslims were if you if you pay attention to their story they were screwed over by sunnis okay so when it comes to fatima which is the daughter of muhammad she was accidentally killed by omar which is the second khalifa of sunnis if you look at ali he was uh, he, he was the first imam of shias he was supposed to be uh, the the leader after muhammad and he, that was taken away from him by the first three khalifas and he was also killed by kharij kharijite was the third group of people that are neither shia or sunni but a lot of shias think that's not, uh, that muawiyah which was a sunni leader that was a conspiracy that he actually killed uh, imam ali then you have hassan i think he was poisoned right po hassan yeah poisoned by sunnis 
and then Hussein, which is killed by Sunnis, and that's the main death that's the most important, the, mo the most important, mo important martyrdom to the Shias is the martyrdom of Hussein, and this martyrdom makes a huge, I'll get into this later, the martyrdom of Hussein, the one that we just talked about, completely shapes the entire Shia view of the world and their identity and their theology it surrounds it all of it surrounds Hussein's death and then all the Imams after Hussein to the 12 to not to the 12 Imam they were poisoned they were put in uh, you know prison uh, they were exiled there were many different things by Sunnis it was always by Sunnis and this shows all of these stories helps create a really if um, helps you create hate for uh, Sunnis because they were always the Shias none of these Imams managed to lead uh, managed to have a government except Ali the first Imam for a very short amount of time and but was it for a very short amount of time because most of his lives were other people were leading where, where they weren't supposed to but None of these people were lead and they were supposed to be the leaders and they didn't get to lead because the Sunnis robbed them of that right that Muhammad promised them and the Sunni leaders took it away from them. And they were imprisoned and killed and the Shias were always oppressed. They see themselves as the ones that are oppressed. And this, is, this leads into the Shias view of themselves and this is pre-Islamic revolution of Iran. So pre-modern times because in modern times everything changed right but pre-modern times the Shias view of the of themselves were the ones that were wrong the ones that were oppressed so if you look at the Sunni history you see that the Sunnis looked at the Islamic world and they saw right after Muhammad's death what happened uh, Abu Bakr came and expanded the Islamic Empire and then Omar came and he expanded the Islamic Empire he captured an entire empire of the Persian Empire like what the hell right and then ruler after ruler the Islamic Empire kept expanding and expanding and they became richer and richer and richer um, and then they had the golden age of Arabs and everything and they're like okay it seems like we're doing very well uh, and they saw themselves as the mighty, the people in power, and they say, God, we know God is on our side because we couldn't have done all this if God was not on our side. So God is on the side of the victors. God is the, uh, the side of the powerful. And this is how we know we're on the right side of history. So the Sunnis saw themselves as the victors and the people in power. And, that, and they saw that as a sign and that, that, they're, that they are on the right side of history. Shias always saw themselves as the people that are being wronged, as being oppressed by the Sunnis. And they, saw that's, they also saw that as the sign that they're on the right side of history. Because they said, they, they built that into their identity to say, God is on the side of the oppressed. God is on the side of the weak. God is on the side of people that are being wronged. And that was built into the identity of Shias as the oppressed, as the victims. In modern times, everything changed. We'll get to that later because after World War I, Sunnis didn't have any leaders anymore. They lost their Khalifa and they were weak and the West was powerful. So that was a crisis of identity for them. And also after the Islamic Revolution in Iran, 
uh, Shias became uh, in, like they had a government, they were in power. So they were like, wait a minute, we were. I, I thought we weren't supposed to be in power because uh, the Shias. Uh, this part is something we're going to get into in the third. Yeah, part yeah, yeah. We're about but modern geopolitics as well. The Shias, yeah. the Shias view of government is different. Was different from the Sunnis because Sunnis felt like you always have to have a caliph that is not himself a divine religious authority, but it maintains. A, an environment for Muslims to be able to practice Islam for the for the Ummah, right? You all the Sunnis say so. The Sunnis were always in politics. You need to have a Khalif that has an Islamic government, uh, one Khalif at, at any time. This is why ISIS wanted to bring the Khalifat back. Uh, yeah. But the Shias were like, we're not supposed to be in government until the twelve Imam, the hidden Imam, comes back. Um, and this is why Iran is a little bit confusing because now they are in government, but they they came up with excuses for that. But they said nobody should, no Muslim government should be established until there is a because they said you can't have a Muslim government unless you have a divine figure leading it, right? And given that none of the twelve imams are around, twelve, and this is we're going to get into Imam Mahdi, which is the twelve imam. Uh, but given that there is no div divine authority around, then we can't have a government. But do you, uh, do you want to go? Yeah, I no, I, I think I think that's okay. I think I think we can uh, that covers it well. And I, this actually is a good segue into uh, the, the yeah the the last thing that we're going to talk about here is really about um, what's well, the last thing? I have a few other things that I want to touch on. Okay, there, I think there are two main things. Like there's the, the hierarchy mm -hmm. of um, you know who leads Shias. Like Shias do have central religious figures, whereas the Nis often don't. Um, and the but, second thing is what you're saying is the end time story. Uh, before we go on, I just want to make a quick programming note. Hazem is saying, uh, Armin, what did you think of In the Shadow of the Sword? And this is the book by Tom Holland. So before Armin actually answers that, I wanted to No, we're going to have mention... an entire episode of that. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, so, no, I, that's what I want to plug right now. So I've been, I've been corresponding with Tom Holland actually uh, quite a bit recently. And uh, Tom is... We're going to um, have him on the show. Yeah, he's... He's very keen to be on the podcast. We're just trying to figure out a scheduling thing. So um, I'm actually crazy excited to potentially have him on here and have the whole yeah. discussion with him. But go on, as go well. on. So he's end the time. author of Shadow of the Sword. So, yeah. But time. we both love the book. Yeah, we both love the book. Right. So the end times, you know, you already mentioned Mehdi, the Mehdi. So the, this is interesting. So there's a, um, there's a belief that uh, towards the end of the world, right, hmm. when the world is about to... Uh, <laughs> come to an end, uh, there's going to be chaos. I mean, literally, the Jal is is the, the apparently the Cyclops, this one-eyed figure that's going to show up and so chaos. Wait, in the start world. from the basic. People are confused. You're confusing people. What's a basic? Okay. The world's coming to an end. Everything's been shot to shit. There's so, like trans people and gay people everywhere. God <laughs> hates it. It's really, yeah. It's like, <laughs> there's terrible things happening. And um, in the center of this figure, I, I'm just trying to get to the, the Mehdi part. So this is what I see as basic to it. And even though there's a lot of details, right. is that this uh, one-eyed sort of cyclops called Dajjal comes in to, uh, to sow Antichrist. chaos. Antichrist. He's the Antichrist, right. Exactly. Right. He comes in and uh, he's, he's sowing chaos throughout the land and everything and everything's terrible and then what happens is uh, two me. things happen after that number one is uh, Armin stop laughing this is serious no B's just saying cats living with dogs so it made me laugh right. oh cats living with this is people believe this stuff man don't be okay anyway so then there's um hey, Armin 
Go, okay. go. Sorry. Yeah, then, then, so then what happens is two things happen. First of all, Jesus comes back, mm. right? And this makes a lot of people happy because the Shia believe in this. They love Jesus. Sunni believe in it. They love Jesus. The Ahmadis actually think that Jesus was already in their prophet, whatever. Everybody's got something for Jesus. And, and then this, uh, um, the, these guys, the, the Christians, obviously, they, they're waiting for that to happen, right? Jesus comes back. So that's one thing. The other guy who comes back is the Mahdi. Uh, Mahdi, that's a difference between Sia and Sunni. Both of them believe that these, this is a God-sent Messiah. And come back, he's going to be an example of essentially the perfect Muslim. Okay, virtually divine. The closest thing you can get to a prophet, not a prophet. Wait, wait, you, got, you guys And cut. for the Shia, this yeah. is... Okay, go on. Yeah, so the, the, the Mahdi. For the Shia, the Mahdi is a 12th Imam. So... The 12 are Shias at Nashri. They believe in 12 Imams, all descendants of Muhammad, all divinely guided. The 12th Imam is the Mahdi. And he was lifted up. He never died. That's why it ended at 12, right? Uh, he was just lifted up as a kid. And now he's going to come back. He's going to fight the Jal along with Jesus and save the world. The Sunnis believe the same thing. But they believe that he's going to come de novo. He's not coming back, but he's just going to be sent as a new thing by God, and he's also going to help fight alongside Wait, Can Jesus I actually put this in perspective? Chaos. Because this is it's a little bit confusing. All right? So we have you have three main figures here, okay? The Mahdi is going to come, okay? And Mahdi means is the Messiah, right? Which is going to come at the end of times, right? Their Messiah, right? Their end of time figures. The good guy. This is the good guy, right? Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is Muslim. By the way, don't forget that Muslims think Jesus is Muslim. Okay, and Christians just screwed up his religion, right? Jesus. Muslims love Jesus more than Christians do, I think. No. But anyway, no. I think they do. They they yeah. say that they're bullshitting, All right? But also the bad guy, the Dajjal, is going to come back, and he's two things: he's both the Antichrist, and he's also the false Messiah. Okay, he's going to come and pretend that he's the Messiah, but he's exactly the opposite. And he has only one eye, and he's right now chained somewhere in an island somewhere. But the interesting yeah, thing it's is, like it's like reverse it's reverse Takiya is what he's going to do. <laughs> okay, so yeah. he, here's the thing, though, the fig Mahdi, the Mahdi figure, was mentioned is more important to Shias than it is to Sunnis. Okay. But the Dijal figure, the Antichrist one, is more important to Sunnis than it is to Shias. Because I grew up Shia, and I never heard about Dijal, okay? I didn't even know it was part of Shia mythology. When I heard about Dijal as an ex-Muslim, I thought that's just a Sunni thing, right? And then I looked, up it, I looked it up, and I said, apparently it's also in Shia Hadith. They just never met Shias. Did you ever hear about Dijal as a Shia? Yeah, yeah, totally. It, did, but I had a, so I, no, no, I mean, no. I had, but you, you were exposed to both Sunnis and Shias in Pakistan. Yeah, my thing was that I learned about Shiism in the middle of a Sunni world. Right. right? So, so there was so a lot your, of yeah. Your your experience is different. But me growing up in Iran in a Shia world, I never knew about the Okay, I just knew about Mehdi, which is the Messiah, right? And the thing is that the Messiah, the Mehdi, is a much more important thing for Shias. He's the twelve. So um, for Sunnis, he's just a new guy. He's just randomly God picks somebody and he's the Messiah. For sh that's the Sunnis, right? And he, he's not very important. I, prefer, I, I, I mean, he's not divine. I don't know. Thanks. Is he divine? 
for some reason. He, they don't make him uh, that... He's sent by God. He's, yeah, he's sent he by... He might as well be. He might as well be. He's but supposed he... to be the example of the perfect Muslim. The perfect okay. Muslim. But for but for Shias, this is the 12 Imam that went missing for 1,300 years ago, right? So, he's absolutely divine. Yeah, he's absolutely divine. He's the so so for Shias he went up to eleven Imam and then when he got to twelve Imam he got he went missing. Oopsie, somebody lost the twelve Imam when he was a kid, and people are like where is he? People are like I don't know. So he's he was he first fell in a well. He was there for a while and then they found him, but then he went missing again and people are like where is he? And like he's hiding and he didn't die. He was always around. Like he's always. It's not like he went to heaven and he's gonna come back. No, the twelve Imam has been with us on earth since 1300 years ago he's just walking around sometimes he's in europe sometimes he's in iran sometimes he's in the united states he's just walking around just having different jobs helping people randomly some people mentioned that he's they saw him there's there's sites he, he, he's like well, he's like people thought khomeini was him they thought Khomeini, yeah. uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini was him. And Khomeini was such an asshole, he didn't even deny it. Yeah, he Just didn't like, deny it. Oh, okay, Actually, throughout history, multiple people that wanted to be a Shia leader claimed to be him. Like the the person that started the Safavid Empire, the Ismaili Empire, they all claimed that they're the, they're the, they are Mehdi. They're, you know, yeah, even when, the Ahmed. When I was a kid, it's a, it's all a, the, you know, the... It's a common thing to claim to be like, "Hey, I'm I'm the guy that you were waiting for." Uh, the Ahmadis, that's how they they started it too, right? If we'll you go, go to the psych ward in uh, in Pakistan, I remember the psych ward in Karachi where I worked and I went to medical school. That there was always there were always at least three or four Imam Mahdi's there <laughs> okay. who would come in and they were claiming. You know, I'm not kidding. This is no exaggeration. <laughs> really? He always there. And then they were, and then he had uh, supporters in the same ward. They would come in. They say where the Sipa Salar or whatever, where his like his his soldiers, the Mehdi soldiers. They had entire teams of these guys in, in there in the psych ward. So it's fascinating. So he's kind of like Sasquatch in Iran because people keep uh, saying that like, oh, they saw him here, they saw him there. Like they're like people like, oh, I saw him. I didn't know it was him until he left. Like there's some people. There's stories of like this poor guy that somebody he was like begging for money, and this guy comes and picks up a stone and puts it in his hand and it goes, and then he looks in his hand and the rock had turned into like gold. So there's many different like like fairy tales about like people claiming that they saw him somewhere right so yeah, it, when I was a kid yeah we had the Bermuda Triangle was a big mystery when I was growing up in the 80s because all these ships would go into the Bermuda Triangle and they disappear and now that mystery has been solved for a long time but at that time for the longest time people used to think that's where Mehdi is there and he's already landed he's building an army and people oh. actually by the way Mehdi if, you, if he if Imam Zaman we call him if he's real uh, we would like to officially invite him on the show. Uh, Jesus, come on. Mehdi is out there, and if you've arrived already, <laughs> yes. this goes for the second coming of Jesus as well. The invitation is open for you to appear on the secular jihadists. Right. Uh, just, By please. the way, it's, the, the, uh, it's official belief in Iran. This is not like legend, like pe some people saying. This is official belief in the government of Iran that Imam Khomeini, the leader of the revolution of Iran, um so uh, talk to Imam Mehdi like so it was originally some people say like he might be Imam Mehdi but that was completely forgotten they never told us that because that was because he died Imam Mehdi can't die but um but at least now it's official within 
our schools and everything that while when Khomeini was alive he did get advice from Imam Mahdi while he, to regarding the revolution so right so okay I, so yeah okay so that's end of time story the jal the jal will come back the jal will lead the world and the jal is also the zionist apparently okay the sunnis have mixed up all the conspiracies together to, to the jal which is the antichrist is also the zionists it's also the illuminati it's also all the tech companies apparently um uh, yeah so it's very interesting the, look up the jal it's very the the all the conspiracies around the jal is very very interesting um but go on yeah. sorry Eli. so yeah so i wanted to move on now from here mm -hmm. that's the end of time so the main difference again is uh Mahdi is a figure who is de novo for sunnis he just comes from scratch whereas for shias he's a returning imam so that's another thing now finally we're going to move on to uh, the hierarchy in shia so th this is actually different in Shia and Sunni. So one of the things that Sunnis like saying, and you've probably heard this all over the place, is that Sunnis say, well, unlike Christianity, unlike you know how the Catholics have a pope, we don't have a pope. We don't have a central authority figure that all of us look to. Um, and that's actually kind of true. Like, they don't. You know, they have localized figures here and there. Wait, They've got imams who, who are you referring to right now? Sunnis or Shias? Sunnis, 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 right. Sunnis. So they have imams and they have sheikhs and, they, and and these imams, by the way, the Sunni imams are different. The imams like who lead prayers in mosques, they're not the same divinely guided imams that the Shias believe in. Completely different thing. So they have these uh, sort of figures at at more of a local, regional, mentor type level, mm. but there's no central authority that interprets the faith for them. The Shia, very different story. Armin. Well, I mean, the, okay, so it depends on. Um, which Shias you're talking about? So, um, do you, are you talking about the Shias today, or or the Shias throughout history? Because, okay, Shias um, in Iran, or Shias that agree with the Velayat Faqih, they see Khomeini and Khomeini as their popes, as their central authority. But this is actually a controversial right. topic because there's also a lot of Shias that don't agree with that. Uh, that don't see Khomeini and Khomeini yeah, but, as central authority. Uh, not not necessarily Khomeini and Khomeini, but but Taklid is a pretty fundamental. Yeah, um, Marja Taklid. Okay, yeah, but but so Maj let's start with that. Like okay, Marja Taklid. Yeah. Yes, Taklid is a Shia concept that does not exist in Sunnism, and this basically says that. The philosophy is that, hey, if you're sick and there's something you want to know about your health, you're going to go to a doctor. You're not going to figure it out yourself. So in the same way, if there's something that you're going through, kind of some kind of spiritual issue or, or uh, you want to, you no. want spiritual guidance, you're going to go to a mustahid, no. right, who is okay. a, um, can I, can a I, can learned I explain individual. This? Can I explain this? Okay, so the yeah. explanation, by the way, this is not a central authority because anybody could pick their own majid taqlid, right? As long as yeah. you do it honestly. So basically, the Shi the Sunnis hate this, right? Sunnis uh, hate this because they say like, whoa, instead of understanding Islam and following it, you're just following somebody else, right? Uh, like, this is just like monkey, say monkey, dude, like, this is bullshit, this is not Islam. Shia say, no, Islam is complicated. There's, you can't, and not everybody can be a scholar. Like, there's just too much. There's the Quran, there's history, there's the tafsir, there's the hadith. There is no way any Muslim can figure all this shit out. Just, yeah, and, when they're raising kids, going yeah, to work, all that. Yeah, stuff. and there's, there's so many rules, like how to, how to treat your wife, 
how to brush your teeth. And by the way, Islam for both Shias and Sunnis is an all-encompassing religion. It's not just a spiritual thing. It's a religion that teaches you about everything in life. How to wipe your ass, how to brush your teeth, how to wash your hair, how to, what, how to talk to your children, how to, you know, how to go everything. Every, how to do politics, how to govern a society, what to teach in school. So Islam is, they say it's the most complete religion. It has a teaching for everything. But because it's too much to understand for each Muslims, the Shia say, well, just like you have a lawyer to, to tell you about legal stuff, just like you have a dentist, like you can't be your own dentist, you can't be your own lawyer, you can't be your own doctor. So why would, given that you understand this about most things in life, you hire experts, you're a mechanic to fix your car, you don't do your fix your own car, you hire a mechanic. So why is it that the most important thing in life, which is your religion, your relationship with God, obviously for that, that's the most important thing for you to, to have an expert for that, right? And that's why you need to have an authority figure. Everybody needs to pick their own authority figure. And they say that it's okay to pick whatever, like uh, any any of the, there's many authority figures and they call them Marja et Taqlid, which means the source of, what do you call Taqlid? Emulation? emulation? What is that? Uh, copying? Um, source of? Well, you're basically, I, I guess it's a mentorship. You just listen to what they say and their analysis no, of things and you follow it. There's a it. good word for it. Emulation? Emulation? I don't know. For, I e emulation. Emulation source means of, to follow the example of. Oh yeah, yeah, source of emulation. That's a good translation. Majetagli. So they say the way you pick this Majetagli is that they ha you have hundreds to pick up. I think you have thousands to pick up, right? But there's a wrong way to pick it and there's a right way to pick it. The wrong way to pick it is to pick the one that is giving you the easiest way to do. Like for example, let's say there's, uh, there's you're, you're picking from three and uh, one of them is giving you a way that is really hard to follow. The other one is giving you the one that is actually easy to do. If you pick your source based on how easy it is, then you're doing it wrong. But if you honestly look at, uh, decide who to follow, uh, and you, uh, it's based on really honest, uh, honest uh, investigation, then it's fine who, whoever you pick, even if it's the easiest one. And the Shias say that if you follow a uh, Marjai Taqlid, the Marjai Taqlids, they're not divine, they're not Ma'asum, they're not pure. So they're going to make mistakes. But if you follow a Marjai Taqlid and they t give you a wrong ruling, and you follow a wrong ruling, it's fine. You're forgiven because you you uh, they say that it's, it doesn't matter. You honestly try to pick high, find a good magistrate and you follow that person, even if they made a mistake. Given that your uh, attempt was honest, you're forgiven that you're following the wrong way. But Sonys hate that, all that. Sonys are like, what is all this following, following, following? Like, where? Like this is not. How, how Islam is supposed to be to blindly follow somebody based on what? Like who picked this guy to become uh, a source of Islamic knowledge? Like they, they really hate this idea of Majah Taqlid. But go ahead, Ali. Yeah, I mean, you said whatever there was to say. But, you know, some of the other uh, things over here uh, that I'll talk about, um, like, you know, the, the, it's the differences in clergy. Right, so you have apart from the four caliphs in, in Sunni Islam, 
you know, you've got uh, the imams that lead the prayer, you know, you've got uh, the alamas, you've got maulanas who are scholars, uh, but nothing is super, super central. Um, in Shiaism, you have, you know, the divinely guided imams instead of the caliphs. You have ayatollahs, you have mushtahids, you have those are mushtahids, are, that's a status you have to ha be at so you people can be in taqlid of you, who can follow you. You've got alamas, maulanas, hojat al-Islam, sayyids, all kinds of different right. um, but, you know, statuses. It's, it's funny to me that Sunnis make fun of Shias for having Majlis Taqlis because every time when when you talk to Sunnis, you talk to them about problematic verses and you're like, how come this verse says this? How come this verse says that you can have sex slaves? How come this verse says that you have to, uh, you can beat your wife? This, uh, the Sunnis tell us uh, like, don't ask, don't ask me, ask a scholar. Or like, that's what the Sunnis say, like, oh, yeah, this is why we have scholars. You have to ask a scholar. Well, I like, well, but this is what you're making fun of Shias, and now you're telling me to ask a scholar instead of asking you. So, anyways. Um, I mean, yeah. So, so this is... Yeah, go on. Yeah, those are some of the major things, major Shias and differences. We've got about 15 minutes, and I really, really want to get to the patron questions. Um, can, I, I, can I just really quickly do a comparison? And this is just my... Hypothesis is nobody nobody has said this other than me so far, but it's just very interesting and I think it's just a coincidental um, Similarity, I don't think there's much into it, but it's so interesting. I find it so interesting I want to see if anybody else finds it interesting uh, Just really gonna really quickly go through it um, um, So if you compare uh, two things first, I want to mention two things first of all uh, I, I think the Abrahamic religions uh, they they missed out on pagan religions, uh, female goddesses. And I think female goddesses emotionally was something a lot of people wanted and needed. Like they didn't, they didn't want just a father figure. They also wanted a mother figure in the religion. And Abrahamic religions missed, didn't have that. And the Catholic response to that was... Um, so Mother Mary, but I will get into that. But the interesting thing is that the the main female figure in in Islam in Sunni Islam is Aisha, and the main female figure uh, in Shia Islam is Fatima, the daughter of Muhammad. But and given that, it's very interesting to me that Aisha's personality was very aggressive and strong woman that started a battle. Um, which is very fitting to the Sunni identity, which was always in power and always very aggressive and always going after it and, you know, being the victor, uh, even though Aisha lost in the war. Uh, and also, but the Shia female figure that they consider holy is Fatima, which was more soft-spoken, which was always wrong, which was always just went with the way, and she was this, this wife of Ali, which obeyed everything she was told, and she was always just like more passive, which was is, which is very interesting to me that it's more fit, fitting to the Shia identity. I know a lot of Shias disagree with this identity today, given how modern the world changed the Shia and Sunni identity, but historically that was the case. So that's one, one thing that I find interesting. Another thing that I find interesting is the relationship between Protestants and Catholics is very similar, to me at least, um, maybe other people disagree, that, with the relationship between Shias and Sunnis. Because if you think about it, like Shias have like relics, 
right? They have things that they kiss. They have items like they bring the dust from Karbala. They bring it from Karbala. To, they bring it to Iran as something holy. Uh, and they, they have items that, uh, you know, that they consider that it's like kind of spirituality is oozing out of it. And if you look at Catholics, they have the bones of their saints and they have the nails from the cross. And they the, the Catholics consider these items, it, objects can be holy for both Catholics and Shias. And Sunnis find that uh, blasphemous. And Protestants also find this Catholic notion of items having uh, divinity in them kind of blasphemous. So Protestants' um, view of Catholics is very similar to Sunni's view of Shias. Another thing is that Shias have imams that they pray to and they consider holy. And the Sunnis find that heretical. They think worship only belongs to God and Allah and that's the only thing you could pray to. And that's very similar again to what Protestants' view of Catholics because Catholics have saints. Protestants don't have saints. The Catholics have saints and they pray to the saints. And the Protestants think that you should only pray only to Jesus. Jesus is God. You can't pray to saints. Why are Catholics praying to saints? And this is again something very similar to how Sunnis accuse Shias of and Protestants accuse the Catholics of uh, at the same time. Another thing is that the martyrdom of the imams, a lot of imams were martyred and the, this martyrdom played a huge role into the, the mythology of the Shias and the martyrdom of the saints is very similar to the, again to the Catholics and the Shias. I don't know why these are, seem to all of them go together um, and again the central authority that some Shias have, again I know some Shias disagree with this, but at least many Shias consider the Vilayat al-Faqih today as a central authority and when the Imams were alive, they considered those as central authorities and the Sunnis don't have any central authority. But And if you look at the Catholics today, they have the Pope as the central authority and the Protestants don't have a central authority. Another similarity, the Catholics look like Shias and the Sunnis look like Protestants. Um, and one similarity, one other thing is that the Shias have the 12 Imams and all Christians have the 10, 12 uh, uh, disciples of uh, Jesus. Um, uh, but that's both Catholic and Protestant. I don't know where the number 12, why the number of 12 comes from. Uh, but this is another thing the is that we... Yeah, uh, so yeah, I don't yeah, know why 12 right. keeps repeating itself in Christianity and Shia Islam. And one thing else that we mentioned is that the martyrdom of Hussein has a lot of similarities with the martyrdom of Jesus. Um, and that all, all of them, uh, both Christian, this is something that is similar within all of them. Uh, both Jews are waiting for a Messiah, uh, the Christians are waiting for the return of Jesus, uh, the Sunnis are waiting for the uh, coming of a uh, Mahdi. And the Shias are all waiting for the return of their 12 imams. So they're all waiting for somebody to come at the end of time. The only thing that... Uh, Everybody's got a hard-on for the apocalypse. Right. Everybody wants the whole world to end for some reason. But the only thing that... So I mentioned a lot of things that Catholics are like Shias and Sunnis are like Protestants. The only thing that flips that narrative on its head is the, the, the order that they came in. So the Catholics uh, were the original... Uh, Christians after like they, they became the central authority for a very long time and they were the only Christians around except the Eastern Orthodox but they were the main ones and the Protestants were a, 
a, a sign of protest against that, right? So they protested against the Catholics, and then we had Protestants. So in this sense, Shiism actually looks more like pro. So this switches. Shiism looks more like Protestants rather than Catholics because Shiism throughout history was a uh, was a symbol of protesting against Sunnis. So just like Shiism was a symbol of protesting against Sunnis, which and the Sunnis were the central authority and the people in power, um, the Protestant, the Catholics was the central authority and power, and the Protestants protested to that. So that 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 similarity uh, is uh, is different from the other ones. In this situation, the Shias look more more like the Protestants, but in every other example I mentioned, the Shias look more like the Catholics. Anyways, okay. I don't know why no, all gotta... I don't know why all these similarities are there. I think it might be a coincidence, but it's just so interesting that they have all these similarities. But go yeah, ahead. on Facebook, uh, Yuval Berger is also mentioning the uh, twelve tribes of Israel. So oh. there's another twelve for you. But hell? anyway, so so we're gonna get to patron questions, Armin. We gotta go through these really, really quickly. Yeah. Uh, so again, we have to curate them. There's no way we're gonna be able to get to all of them. So I apologize. Some of you have already mentioned. Uh, throughout, we, oh, we you talked about it. Yuval in the so Facebook first, also basic one, yeah, go yeah, basic one, Muscal is saying, are there more Shias or Sunnis in the world? Uh, Ooh, the answer easy. is there's a lot more Sunnis. Only about 20% of the world's Muslims are Shias. The rest of them are Sunnis. But, God, but the, God loves the Shias more because he put all the oil under the Shias. <laughs> Even the oil, his, well, no, not all of it. Why not? Even oh, actually, he did. Even yeah, in Saudi, Saudi even Arabia. even in Saudi Arabia, the Shia parts oil, of Saudi Arabia Shia. oil is under the Shia. So. Right. So some of the Shia majority countries uh, in the world are the Arab countries. Iran is a major one. Uh, Iraq is about sixty-five to seventy percent Shia. Uh, Bahrain is mostly Shia. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, some of these countries are sort of uh, uh, Shia majority, but the vast majority are are Sunni majority. Mm. Uh, another question from uh, Adlock Hungary. What hadith should I read in order to understand Islam generally, but also to understand the differences in Sunni Shia and other sects? Um, I would, oh man, I, I don't think there's a set of hadith that you can read, um, <laughs> but I think that there are certain books that you can read that would help you um, understand the differences. Um, a good reference book is the Brill Encyclopedia of Islam. There's many different volumes. You can pretty much search any topic you want to. Um, apart from that, I, I don't know. Do you have any general? There's I so mean, many. I mean, if I mean, I don't know. Reading a hadith would not make much sense unless you read it in context to the Quran. Um, I mean, that would be like years worth of research. Uh, I mean, reading a hadith is just good for laughing, but it's not going to be help you understand the differences unless you actually some unless somebody actually puts. The pieces of the puzzle where they right, were supposed to right. fit for you, right? So yeah. actually, reading books about uh, reading books that already analyzes Shia and Sunni Islam would be more. I mean, this is what Muslims would disagree with me, right? Muslims would like just go read, go directly read the source, but the source is made maybe by purpose and by design, complicated so that you know you always you're gonna need somebody to. They will tell. So this is what they are. Uh, this is something that they might get right, but but their sources are wrong. So you do need scholars to actually put these things in perspective for you. But the problem is that not the scholars that they suggest. Uh, the scholars that you need to um, 
read as actually non-Muslim scholars because they're actually objective about their analysis. But you do need somebody, because if you want to go from, put all this together yourself from scratch, then you need to become a scholar yourself. And this is like years worth of putting these pieces next in together. So... Yeah, I think yeah. I think there are many books out there. I think if you just look up a lot of these books about the differences between uh, Shia and Sunni, you'll, you'll find a lot of stuff are, out there. Let me find anyway. my, my my favorite book was after I think one of my uh, after the prophet I think is called is that what a book I read? I really enjoyed this book. Uh, I think one book was after the prophet. Yes, after the po prophet, read that book. Another book was the Shia revival. That's a very, very interesting book. Yeah, that's read, a good book. Yeah, read that one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Matt Rosa saying, Armin, uh, can you talk about Zoroastrianism and its connection to the Romans? I think you want to do a separate episode on this, right? Yeah. So that's, let's good leave question. it for that. So that's going to be the teaser. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a good, it's a very good question. And it's in modern times, this has become some political, the relationship between Shia Islam and ancient Zoroastrianism in modern times among some political movements in Iran is very, very interesting and surprising. So we need to have an entire episode on that. Yeah. yeah. James is asking, do Shia say, well, this guy supported Omar, Aisha, or Muawiyah, oh. therefore you are untrustworthy, so I can't trust the Hadith transmitted through him? Yes, yeah, that's exactly uh, the, one of the big reasons that uh, Bukhari and all of these guys have, they don't have a lot of legitimacy when it comes to Shias is because they rely heavily on Aisha and they revere a lot of the, the first three caliphs, which, which the Shia just don't trust. Yeah, technically um, none all. of them could be trusted because none of them was written for so many years after. The, by the way, Yuval is mentioning that Azerbaijan is also mostly Shia. Is that true? Yuval, yeah, yeah. So, Yuval so, has a very so Some of the central... Yeah. yeah, the Central Asian states, a lot of them, um, they, they're very Shia. There's actually a lot of Ismailis there. So there's, there's six or Shias over there. You're going to see a lot of them. Um, now, there was uh, another kind of... So someone was... Okay, so Adlock asked what the, what the Tafsir is, and we already uh, talked about that. Oh, you're way up there. Yeah, so, I'm way so up there. I have a question from Yuval. Are there are the rules for, of Tajweed similar for both Shias and Sunnis? Do you know Taj, that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I actually don't know about wow, that. Wow, you have a very technical question. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I bet you there is. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there okay. is. Um, okay, so it is is simply believing that Ali should have been the successor to Muhammad enough to be a Shia. Or do you also need to believe that the 12 Imams have special knowledge? You have to believe in the divinity of the 12 Imams. Yes. That's actually core uh, of Shiism. Believing Ali was a successor. The whole reason you believe that Ali was a successor is precisely because... You know, See, a lot of Shias don't know this, but there are a lot of hadith in Shia Islam that says definitely that if you don't believe in the 12 Imams, in the divinity of the twelve imams, in their, in their, in their, in them being masum, then you're not even Muslim. Like it's not enough. There's actually a lot of Shia hadith that they consider authentic that says that you are not a Muslim if you don't believe in these twelve imams. That's a. This is a. This is a, this is something that a lot of Sunnis use to show that the Shias takfir the Sunnis. They're like, look, these people are accusing us of not like. See, uh, Sunnis are great for digging out 
she is a problematic Shia Hadith and Shias are great for digging out problematic Sunni Hadith, right? So I get a lot of my Shia knowledge from Sunnis, right? <laughs> I, I, and and they want and vice versa. Yeah. So when I when I so when I look at like you know, I follow a lot of, you know, Islamic sources. Uh, it's interesting because these Sunnis, the Sunni sources are, uh, Sunni um, source content are telling other Sunnis, like, look, look what, I, what we have found in Shia Hadith. They are telling us that we're not even Muslim. This is what Shias believe in. And they're trying to show other Sunnis how bad Shias are with their Hadith. But go on. So um, Hamza is asking, and I think we covered this a little bit. He said, when Shias cry during Muharram, how much of that is genuine? And we, we talked about this, right? It's, it's, yeah, I mean, there's a famous video in, uh, there's a viral video in Iran. Oh, there's lots of them. Yeah, <laughs> that, that the camera is going, like, everybody's crying. And then there's this imam, uh, like this um, mullah. And by the way, imam means different things, right? Imam means the 12 imam, but it also means like you're just a mullah. Uh, so, and the cam he noticed, he's just sitting there doing nothing. And then he looks at the camera, he notices the camera is on him and he just starts crying. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Like that video went viral. But yeah, a lot of it is pretending. And a lot of them is exaggerated. A lot of anti-Islamic Iranians just share these videos of how funny it is, how much they try to outcompete each with each other to show how much they're crying, they're hitting themselves, they're crying in ridiculous ways, uh, just to show their devotion. There are people that just crawl on the ground towards Ali's. Oh my God! There's so many disgusting things. It's just like people that. Uh, how like dogs like um, they say I'm Ali's dog and they just make they start barking by saying they they put they put chains around their neck and saying that they're Ali's dog and they uh, they start there's walking. There's other rules like there's oh a God, thing that you know the, the louder you cry the more the uh, people in heaven the Shahada Karbala oh, yeah. in heaven will hear you. Every so tear every tear is gonna wash away like hundreds of your sins. Or thousands of your sins. They're just so, yeah. Right, it's just pretty it's, nuts. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Go it's, yeah, it's a religion, right? It's a yeah, religion. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, Mahmoud, Mahmoud Hassan is asking, do, do, do Sunnis consider Shia as kafirs or like they won't go to heaven because they do shirk? Um, a lot of them do. I mean, most yeah. mainstream Sunnis, they don't really, they consider Shias and Sunnis like they're all Muslim. Uh, but the, the really, really fundamentalist ones, um, they do think that Shias are okay, um, no, no. So, innovators so the, and heretics. The right answer is that it depends. Are you talking about what Shiism teaches or what do Shias believe? And just just like we say, there's a difference between Muslims and Islam. There's also no, this the, is about what what Sunnis think about. No, Shias. no, no. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that just like there's a difference between Muslim Muslims and Islam, there's a difference between Sunnism and Sunnis. And there's a difference between Shiism and Shias, right? So for Shiism, according to Shia Hadith, Sunnis are not Muslim. And according to Sunnism, Shias are not Muslim, right? But Shias are divided in this and Sunnis are divided in this. Because Sun but most Shias don't know Shia Hadith and most Sunnis 
donosh Sunni hadith, right? So a lot of Sunnis I want to be tolerant, like oh we're all brothers and sisters in faith, we're all Muslim, all of that is secondary. Yes, we, as long as we're Muslim, that's all that matters. And you also have a lot of Sunnis and Shias, like no, that's bullshit. They're not really Muslim. Uh, they're they're actually worse than non-Muslims. They're worse than even the Jews. They will say like, well, like that's this is how this is how <laughs> Sunnis and Shias want to stress out how bad Shias, other Shias and Sunnis are when Shias say, you know, Sunnis are worse than even the Jews, and that's how bad they are. And sometimes Sunnis will say Shias are worse than even the Jews, and how that's how bad Shias are, right? So this is how you know they're very being very serious. So right. you'll find different like, you find different degrees of tolerance among Shias and Sunnis, but according to the, the religion itself, if you want to be true to the religion, Shiism doesn't consider Sunnis Muslim, and Sunnism doesn't consider Shias Muslim. But go on. Right. So, oh, am I muted? No, I'm not. Muted. By the way, YouTube, okay. that was me telling. Please, I'm not being anti-Semitic. I think this is there's going to be an algorithm. Oh, I think everybody understands. No, yeah, yeah, but YouTube's algorithm might not recognize that. They're going to think like I'm being anti-Semitic. Jesus, this video okay. is going to get flagged or something. But go on. Right. So a lot of the other stuff that you guys are talking about, I mean, mainly these are conversations between you guys, but I think those were some of the main uh, important questions. Uh, Saira was uh, here and she was talking about Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, who is the spiritual leader and considered the prophet of the uh, Ahmadiyya Muslims. Right, so Ahmed, and, uh, we should have an entire episode on Ahmadi. Yeah, I was going to say that. I'm actually waiting for both of our, one of our favorite sort of Ahmadi. Yeah. Uh, so, by the way, there are a lot of Ahmadi ex-Muslims out there. I love like, that. Ex-Ahmadi Muslims. Loads of them. And uh, we are trying to, many of them, uh, one of the most articulate ones is a very good friend of mine. And uh, he, he isn't totally out yet, but uh, he's going to come out with a bag he's very, very soon. He's teasing us. He's just when he does, teasing us with this. Like, come, come on. Anyway, yeah, he does. So. But, so anyway, so she was talking about how, you know, he didn't like Jesus and he said things about Jesus. So he, he actually thought of himself as a spiritual reincarnation of Jesus himself. And and the Ahmadiyya Muslims do not believe, like all Shia and Sunni Muslims believe that Jesus was not crucified, but he was lifted up to heaven and there was a decoy that was crucified in his place. That is one of the major differences between um, Shia, the, between Islamic belief and Christian belief. Uh, but the Ahmadiyya Muslims, uh, Ahmadiyya Islam actually says that he was crucified. They they align themselves with the Christian beliefs. So that's one right. of the differences. But I think that we will have an episode on this By the, the way, future. one thing, I just want to get my ref, uh, anti-reform narrative right here. A lot of people consider Ahmadi Islam to be a little bit more uh, a more moderate version, more peaceful version of Islam compared to uh, other versions of Islam. And the fact that Ahmadi Muslims, a lot of people are leaving Ahmadi Islam and they're becoming ex-Muslims. Is to me is very um, is as it shows how yeah even even the so-called peaceful version of Islam, a lot of people are like yeah that's bullshit. So given that a lot of people are leaving Ahmadi Islam, goes uh, to my argument that if if an, if a religion doesn't make any sense. Uh, you should leave it whether it's peaceful or not but go on ali right uh, there's another uh question oh, beach is mentioning the it's reason on faith we can say that right because reason we're referring to reason yeah on reason faith. on faith right he, he's well, the guy yeah that, we can say it's a reason on faith yes 
He's a brilliant. If you guys see him, uh, find him on Twitter and follow him. Find him on Facebook. Follow him there too. Yeah. Um, Beej is also asking, did Ahmadis think their leader was the Mehdi? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, he did. He actually he thought that he was the appointed Messiah or the Mehdi or the prophet. And now he was did not consider him a prophet of the book, like someone who was given a unique scripture. He was considered a prophet that was not. Um, uh, you know, he still believed that Muhammad was the last prophet who was given. Uh, the message, a unique book, a unique scripture. Uh, a prophet with a book. So this is this right, is so, what. So he considered himself the Messiah, the Mahdi, um, the metaphorical incarnation of Jesus. He he actually described himself as all of those things. Uh, yeah, so and this is this is this is so this is why a lot of people hate a lot of Muslims hate Ahmadis, right? Because it's different from other people's story of end of times because. Uh, first of all, other Muslims think Mehdi will come back, and he's not Jesus. Jesus is also coming back, but they're not the same person. And Ahmadis think, well, they're the same person. And also, uh, uh, um, Ahmadis are saying the person that or they think Mehdi already came back, okay? And it's, it's their guy. But, but they also call him a prophet. And this is the most problematic part of Ahmadi belief, because the most one of the most fundamental belief of Muslims is that Muhammad was the last prophet, the seal of the prophet. And Ahmadi is like, oh, we have a new prophet. Uh, Muslims are Muslims, like, what the hell? Like, no, like this. If you believe there was a prophet after Muhammad, you're you're contradicting one of the most essential teachings. This is what unites Sunnis and Shias against Ahmadis. The 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 okay even. He, we can we agree at least the Sunnis and Shias are like can we at least agree that these people are not Muslim and Sunnis and Shias are like yeah these people are not Muslim come on um, and th this is why they are hated so much uh, but Ahmadis argue like no when Muhammad said I'm the seal of the I'm the last prophet he meant he didn't mean I'm the last prophet he meant I'm the last prophet with a book we have a prophet and he doesn't have a book so it's fine and Shias are sort of like no he just said he's the last prophet what are you guys talking about. Anyways, go on, Ali. Right. So, um, okay, just a couple more here. Uh, Soraya is asking, are sheikhs from Saudis also Shias? And uh, I, I'll leave Zirabad actually answer that directly. He said sheikh just means leader, basically. So, no, not necessarily. A lot of the sheikhs from Saudi are not Shia. In fact, the majority of them aren't. Um, and I think that, yes, there's, <laughs> Matt is asking, is Imam Mehdi like the Shazam movie where the seven wizard gave their power to the chosen champion? Sounds, sounds pretty accurate. I don't know, Armin. Are you familiar with that? No. Shazam movie? No? No, but 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 we're going to talk about uh, two the two figures that we mentioned today, Hussein and Imam. Okay, so Imam Zaman and Imam Hussein uh, really is a favorite um plays with the imagination of the Shias a lot. And these two figures are used in modern day politics. The, the killing of the martyrdom of Imam Hussein in Karbala and the coming of Imam Zaman is, is two tools that Shia governments and Shia leaders use to play with the emotion of Shias to get them to do things in modern times. And we'll explain like more than anything else. Like they refer to these two figures more than Ali and Muhammad, right? Uh, and it's very their stories just are so useful for modern day politics. So we'll talk about that. Another thing that we might want to mention is I don't know if it's do you want to talk about Dajjal and him being in an island and he being chained 
to I don't yeah I don't think we have time for that right now okay, because okay. we're we're almost tied up so I'm just gonna do the last question right now and then um and then we're gonna have a part three for this I feel like we can never yeah. stop talking part, about but this, part so. part three is going to be okay so part one was ancient history of Shia and Sunni divide part two which was today was the difference in belief and theology and practices part which three covered pretty well yeah. yeah I think we did a lot part three is going to be how all of this translates to the difference between Shias and Sunni in modern day politics which is going to be very interesting I think but go on Ali Last okay, question. so the la last question, I think that this is actually a good one because we didn't mention them. We were talking about subsects of, uh, of, the, of the Shias and uh, uh, Sunnis, especially of the Shias, like, you know, the Ismailis and everything like that. So Waris Rafiq has a question. He said, why do some Alawite Shia believe Ali is God and reject Muhammad and Allah? <laughs> okay, that's now, a very fringe view, though, right? Yeah, but Alawi, do they reject Muhammad and Allah? I don't, I mean, I don't think Alawites do that, but I've heard some Sufi, okay, Sufis no, with Shia yeah. tendencies do that. Like, okay, these are not mainstream beliefs of Shias or, um, or even, I don't think Alawites, mainstream views of Alawites either, but some people take their love, some Shias take their love from, to, uh, for Ali into new into some very different places right there there are some shias that think that ali himself is the essence of god right well this um, is them right so this is the this is the I thing that was more, uh, more from ibn nasser they're also called nasseris mm -hmm. so they actually believe that uh, ali himself is the you know he's he's pretty much they revere him <laughs> above everything else uh, they they don't reject it i think it's more of a a belief. I, I don't know that much about them, so I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to over speculate here. But the only thing I know is they they do believe that it's it's sort of that Ali, the spirit of God and Muhammad and Ali is all all right. very very. It's I, the same kind of thing. We were so they believe school, Ali is no different from God. Well, I mean that that's very fringe view. Okay, like very very fringe. Hmm? Uh, like don't let nobody should think that that's mainstream uh, Shia Islam. But what it's is? It's absolutely not. Sorry, it's totally not. It's, totally, yeah, it's very totally fringe. But oh, but but it does show that how much the love for Ali might go to extreme places. But we were told in school in Iran that Ali is the only person in the world that was not a prophet. But that, and again, this is this is just one teacher in school. This I don't know if this is mainstream or not. But it's the only person in the world that was not a prophet that did miracles on behalf of God. So throughout history, only prophets of God had done miracles, for, uh, God's miracles. Anything that is not God's miracle is magic and is it's forbidden. Magic is forbidden because prophets don't actually do magic. It's just they're just showing God's power. It's not them doing anything. Like when Moses, for example, brings uh, fire from uh, sky, according to Muslim, that's not him doing it. He's just make, asking God to do it. So God is doing it. So miracles are different from magic. Magic is like somebody doing it and it's forbidden, but miracles are on behalf of God. And Ali is the only non-profit that did miracles on behalf of God. So that shows how big Ali is for these people. But another interesting thing is the difference between Sufis, uh, Sufis that are influenced by Sunni Islam and Sufis that are influenced by Shia Islam. 
that's a whole other subject. My God, there's so many subjects. Okay, but um, but Sufis that are influenced by Shia Islam, a lot of them don't even call themselves Sufis. They call themselves, uh, um, they, they don't call it Sufism, they call it Erfan. The reason they call it Erfan is because they want to separate themselves from Sufis that are Sunni. Uh, they have a huge passion for Ali uh, as well, but that's a whole other topic. Jesus. Okay, guys. Yeah. All right, um, everybody. Thank you very much. I mean, be just saying this has been fascinating. I completely agree. I mean, this is amazing. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with this. Um, the, uh, the just a final thing on the Alawites. The Alawites apparently they're very very secretive. Just like I know the Ismailis are, but they I know they also sort of believe in a Trinity type thing where really? Allah wow. and Muhammad and yeah and Ali are all sort of part of the same spirit. So Ali is essentially in a way has a spirit of God in him, just like Muhammad did. So but so they over they revere Ali a lot more than everybody else. We need to but do, in any do case, some research on Alawites and have an episode on them somewhere. Yeah. So Mike says thanks guys. Live long and prosper. Thank Yay. you. As always. Uh Mars, <laughs> Beej, and Croc, and Matos, Hazem Amin, Piet, um uh god who else thought all these guys on, face, on facebook we have yuval and uh Uday. yeah and then uh yeah. soraya hazem amin ali vazirabad and all, all of you guys everybody out there just thank you so much for sire mom all you guys uh the, yeah thank you and razib of course razib was there razib is there always Ham i need to get him on the podcast yeah Hi. Everybody, thanks yeah. a lot. We're going to be back. We're going to do so. We're going to do part three in, in a few weeks yes. on this, and in that, we're actually going to talk about the Shia and Sunni thing uh, and how it uh, plays out in the modern world and the modern, you know, the, yeah, the going to be a lot of, of it. a lot of discussion between Iran and Saudi Arabia and their proxies and all proxy that. wars and things like that, and the yeah. Islamic uh, revolution in Iran and how that influenced Saudi Arabia and how it influenced Pakistan. Oh my God, that's going to be a big episode. There's, I don't know if we're going to be able to cover everything, but we'll try. Well, I mean, that's what we thought about all three. Of this, and we're no, yeah. we're not going to cover everything. We didn't cover everything here either. Yeah. But I think that this was a, this was kind of fun. So. Yeah. Um, if you missed out part one, part one is really fascinating too. If you enjoyed what you liked here, uh, if yeah. you liked what I, I don't know what I'm saying, if you enjoyed <laughs> this episode, yeah. do check out part one because the history of the Sunni and Shia is actually one of my favorite topics in yeah. in all of Islam, and I, I really enjoy it. So be sure and check that out, uh, just to, because it, a lot of it is about the history of Islam in general. Yeah. Um, so virus, yeah. virus is saying keep up the great work guys it's 5.45 a.m. in the UK oh wow thank you for being with us so early thank you for and, joining us yeah. uh, and uh, Virus just remember I mean, if you're listening to this live we are going to have uh, Faye Rahman Faye Rahman's uh, in the UK actually and she's going to be joining us oh yeah uh, this on Saturday oh a lot, of page, a lot of our patrons complain about the time that we do this so that's going to be a time that different right so we are going to be doing more sort of UK things I know that Tom Holland when we do that we're going to be doing that on the weekend as well right I know everybody, a lot of people in the UK are going to be very interested in that as well um, but it's really exciting to see all of this stuff happening uh, you know we've been had a lot of guests from Australia that's a great time difference too because when it's nighttime here and on the east coast and evening time, we're on the West Coast, where Armin is. It's actually afternoon in Australia, so that works out really well. Yeah. Um, and on uh, weekends, we do our, our stuff from yeah. uh, from the UK, and, so it's, it's great. Yeah. And just a last reminder, if you like what we're doing, please support us on uh, secularjihadist.com. Uh, just search right. for us, and links are going to be in the description once we have the podcast version. But yeah, please support us. Uh, 
Yeah, do support us. Uh, if you can't do it financially, you know, share the links. If you like yeah, what you share, hear, share, share. go out, put it on your social media timeline. Very importantly, all of you guys who are listening, just go. If you like this, go to iTunes on your phone. It'll take two seconds. Just go there, post a review, and or just rate us on iTunes. Just write on your phone um, on, on the podcast apps. And, and just go there and just uh, if you if you can rate us that'd be fantastic and that way it'll make more people aware of the, of the stuff that we're doing yes so anyway we'll wrap up with that and we're gonna see you in uh, in the next episode right yeah. yes that sounds good Bye. Uh. the secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA that's what we have been told but we haven't received our checks yet If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadist.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.